on this episode of Thinking Well. I think there's an important distinction to make that we can have political reasons for supporting Israel, which are different from theological reasons. Because I came into this conflict with my already formed views of Israel, you know, not realizing that Israel, the state, and the Jewish people, as God's chosen people, are actually separate. We can't just think like America. We have to think, is this theologically correct in every single area that Christians are around the world? So Chinese Christians, you know, and Russian Christians and Ukrainian Christians, like, Does this theology hold up around the world? And so it's kind of like, where do we stand, right? Do we stand that this is the Israeli promised land? Or was the promise of that land fulfilled in the person of Jesus? And that ultimately the promised land is is when Christ comes and establishes his reign. I think it's valid to point out that Every single nation that exists would have a right to defend itself except Israel. And that's a crock. What should Israel be allowed to do? Because we all do agree that that was not okay what happened. What do you think is the proportionate response? A country is still tasked with protecting its people. As the state does their thing, the church needs to do its thing and it will be separate. I just don't think that then, as a church, we should be stating that Israel is in the clear here, that they are okay to respond in the way they're responding. As a Christian, right, I say, like, they are in the part of the secular world. But what I am saying, right, as as a believer, I do not get to look at it through the secular worldview. Absolutely do not get to do that. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Thinking Well. I'm Dan, joined by Jay Bryan. Hi. Hi, Dan. Rachel. Hola. And Emily. Hello. Emily. Also Emily. known as not Jordan. Not, not Jordan. Jordan. What happened to Jordan? Jordan is no longer with us. Uh, he's replaced. He died? Oh, my God. <laughs> that sounds bad. Jordan did we not should, die. <laughs> we should tell his wife. <laughs> Rachel, did you know that? Oh, that's so uh, dark. Luckily, we got good life insurance before he passed. Oh, wow. <laughs> right before. <laughs> wow, this is really dark. Seriously, I just want to thank Jordan for everything he has contributed to the podcast. Just a lot of good thoughts and helped us not to be so serious when things got really <laughs> tense in some moments. So, um, yeah, <sighs> Jordan's just moving on to different things. And, uh, for this episode, and we'll see what future episodes, like this is your, your trial run, Emily. My yes. trial run, I better do good then. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> yeah. So, Emily, let's, um, let's kind of introduce you to the listeners. Um, who did you vote for in the last election? <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. You I don't know if anyone to wants that. to hear that answer. No. I do. I don't think she voted. <laughs> <laughs> oh. What? That one's tight-lipped. Oh. Now it's we got tight-lipped. two of you on this I, They're going to team up together, Jeez. I'm telling you. All they're right. more alike than... Uh, oh. um, Emily, what do you do? What do you do for a living? I'm so curious. Is it like You're a so, short person job or... She really she, knows. She does really know, which is why she asked me because... Uh, 
if anyone knows me, I am all of five foot. And so when I say <laughs> that I drive a semi, an actual 18-wheeler, uh, people's jaws drop. So, you know, that's really fun. But yes, I drive what's called an N-dump. So I have a like a 36-foot trailer behind my semi, and I haul uh, dirt, rock, scrap, and all sorts of stuff, you know. And I've seen it, and it's an amazing vehicle that could fit nicely in my parking lot now that I've trimmed the trees. Yep. Just went okay. And you've been listening to this podcast for a little bit, right? You know, I mean, since, since day one, I've yeah. been uh, hounding Rachel, you know. It's true. For like, what, it's been a year about since this, and I... And I'm kind of like, you have to be more sanctified in order to join. <laughs> oh, I've been trying. There is a process, which in your case we're going to do after this uh, podcast, but well, don't worry about it. Most people survive. Wow, this sounds like uh, hazing. <laughs> well, Yikes. Well, that's, that's this, a strong This word. episode is, yeah. Is this, this, a, is this a fraternity? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This might be that one, yeah. Okay. All right. It's time we stop avoiding <laughs> the subject <laughs> And uh, I say avoiding. We we're not really going to avoid it. We're we're going to talk about Israel today. Uh, not just the conflict that's happening there right now, but just how Christians and the church have historically viewed Israel and how our theology about Israel informs how we view kind of. The, the modern events and the modern nation state of Israel. And I realize this is such a contentious topic. Um, I feel like it's impossible to talk about this and not offend somebody. So from the outset, I just want to say that we're trying our hardest today to speak with humility, but we also want to speak with conviction and clarity because I think sometimes we can tend to just dance around subjects and not say what we really mean and then it doesn't help anybody mm-hmm. or alternatively I think um, like in the spirit of peace we can kind of say well let's just agree to disagree you can have your opinion and I can have my opinion and there is a sense of that in which I do affirm but it's like either you believe what you believe is true or or like none of it's true so there might be like some some opinions here that that will maybe rub people the wrong way. Um, I think all of us here are just really respectful of each other and we know each other's hearts. But for you, our listeners, I just want you to know that um, this is not something we talk about lightly. Um, and we do just want to just respect where people are coming from these views that people have held for a long time, um, people's theology about Israel. We're not trying to make fun of anyone's theology. Um, but at the same time, I think, you know, there's stuff that each of us have differing views on and things we want to push back on. And so we're just going to do that as Christians because we can't. If we can't have this conversation here as <laughs> brothers and sisters in Christ, then I don't think there's any hope for the world just being able to dialogue about this stuff. Yeah, and we recognize that, like, there are image bearers in this conflict on both sides, and we care deeply for that. Um, So we're not trying to take sides or anything when we do talk about the conflict that's happening. Mm -hmm. We we recognize that there are image bearers on both sides that are getting hurt in this, so we don't want to make light of that. 
Absolutely. Anyone else want to add to that before we dive in? Uh, I, I just want to say that I do see the issue as more black and white probably than the rest of the group, and but I think that's a good thing. It'll be, I think that'll help a, add to the conversation. Yeah. Um, yeah. But Not only because we value you, but because you represent. There are people that think the way I do. Yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. So, and we just recently came back from a trip overseas that is not Israel, but it does give you a feeling for what conflict is like overseas right now, and and it has uh, enhanced my perspective of the situation without question in ways that will probably surprise all three of you. Okay. So. All right. Let's get into it. So maybe we can just start off um, with some definitions. And I came across this on an Instagram account called Truth Over Tribe. And um, they they just gave this list of, of definitions. And maybe you guys don't agree with these definitions, but I found it helpful just to distinguish and define different terms that we use in this conversation. So let's start out with Israel. Um, Israel would be defined as the ancient people of Israel in the Bible. The nation state of Israel is different from that. That's the modern nation state of Mm. Israel that was established in 1948. Israelites are the biblical ancient people of Israel who descended from Jacob Israelis are modern citizens of the nation state of Israel. And one thing that's helped me just in that definition is to remember we're talking about Israeli citizens, and that could be Jewish people. Um, It could be Muslims. It could be Christians. And it could even be atheists. So when we're talking about Israelis, that encompasses a wide makeup of people. Primarily Jewish people, but like not exclusively. Correct. Um, and then Jewish people, uh, the definition I have for that is the people throughout history of a particular ethnic descent from the line of Abraham. So it's not like, so like they're secular Jews. So it's not just people who practice. Yes. So okay. I have I have an interesting um, little tidbit on that. The religious makeup of of Israel, at least, seventy four percent is Judaism, of which fifty percent of that subgroup are actually just cultural or secular Jews. This is within Israel. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Then twenty to twenty five percent are Orthodox Jews. And 10 to 12% are ultra-Orthodox. So, like, even when we're talking about Jewish people in Israel, there's, like, a wide spectrum of Jewish people. And some, the the majority are actually culturally Jews and not the religiously They celebrate the feasts and everything or, like, Yom Kippur, but they don't. Okay. okay. I'm sure sure it's different for each people. Like, uh, Could you liken it to, uh, could I use the word secular Christians? People yeah. in this country that were born uh, consider themselves Christian, but don't go to church. But they would um, celebrate Christmas, maybe, celebrate maybe Christmas. Easter. But, but people, non-believers, celebrate Christmas. You know, exchanging gifts and things yeah. like that. So, like that. Yep. Yeah. Interesting. Yep. So that that was something I 
I just wasn't aware of. I primarily thought of Israel as like just a nation full of practicing Jews, which is not the case. I would agree with <laughs> learn, your stats. Learn things, learn <clears throat> new things every day. So, okay, so all of us either grew up in the church or have been a part of the church for a number of years now. Correct, Jay Brian. <laughs> you did not grow up in the church. Or I did. You? I grew up in a different church. I was okay. raised Catholic. Okay. I know you're only 32, but yeah. <laughs> I'm really 65. So I know, like in the Western church, I I was born and raised in Australia, and then grew up the rest of my life in America. So we all have, um, as Christians, a view of the modern nation state of Israel that has some kind of theological backing or something that that supports that view. So I'm interested just to hear from around the table what we grew up with as our our view of Israel. Not even theologically, but just like what was the culture, like how did you think about Israel? And then like what were some of the religious undertones or reasons given for that support? Well, I was always, uh, Israel has always been an, a nation state in my entire lifetime. So I was born in 1958, so it's always been there. And so when there was the conflict in the late 60s, 1967, for example, I was aware of it, but I didn't think about it in terms of it being just a new state. I put in my mind, in my childlike mind, I guess equated it to, well, you know, Jews lived in that area and that's where Jesus was from. And now that particular country is at war. So my childlike perspective was not that Israel began in 1948, but that it had always been there. And I recognize that that's not always the case. That's not the case. But in any event, that was my perspective. It was discussed in my church. I think the Catholic church at the time I think uh, my recollection is is that they openly supported Israel at the time and things like that in those conflicts. But I recognize also that the church was probably split um, overall in their um, allegiances, you know, to that situation through all that time, and it's and such is still the case today. Maybe even um, way different than today than it was when I was. Meaning that there's way more of the Catholic Church that may um, have a more uh, either pro-Palestinian or pro-two-state two solution, all that stuff, than maybe was the case years ago. But that was my 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 thought was is that you know I wanted Israel to survive. I you know, hope they win. It didn't, why are those guys beating them up? You know, mm-hmm. very simplistic. But that's but I've I've maintained most of that into my adult life um, because Israel it seems to be it's the only democracy in the entire Arab world. And uh, that it is uh, that people want to push it into the ocean makes gives me pause as to why that's the case and so on. And so those are um, my take is, therefore, that I am certainly not anti-Palestinian, but I am pro-state of Israel. Yeah, and I think there's an important distinction to make too there that we can have political reasons for supporting Israel, which are different from theological reasons for supporting Mm -hmm. Israel. So like I would tend to agree with you actually, like there is a good case to be made for having an ally in the Middle East and democracy and, and people with rights and freedom and dignity. So that, that is a different question from theological. Uh, it, It is. Yeah. 
But it is interesting to point out that we have tried in all of your lifetimes to insert democracies into that region twice. Uh, we have in Iraq, and it failed. And we have in Afghanistan, and it failed miserably. And when all, the, all that being the case, it's not as easy, apparently, as giving people freedom mm. and saying, okay, you can run your own country. Um, but of all the countries in that area that, it, that it's actually worked, there's only one, and it's Israel. Am Rachel, next? yeah. Am I next? Okay. Well, I um I was born in 1991 and um it was more of a passive gr- uh view that I grew up with regarding Israel. I don't remember my parents ever talking about like supporting Israel because they were like where everything was going to happen or I got most of my views from, like a lot of you, Left Behind and the movie and the books, and they terrified me. And um, that was like – that like held Israel as like the central point where everything was going to happen. And so I kind of grew up with like the, this passive view, like just kind of taking in information around me and letting that shape my view rather than um, anything that was like – presented towards me by my parents. Um, And now (laughs) I don't know where I stand. Um, I'm looking through like all the different end times, like theologies and everything. But what I do know and what I am certain of is that ultimately it doesn't matter. (laughs) because like if Jesus wanted us to know like what exactly was going to happen in the end times, um, he would have said so. And, and so I think, and, and I love this conversation and I'm excited for this conversation, but I don't let it get me too riled up because like ultimately we're always supposed to be ready for him. Yeah. And we're always supposed to be um sharing the gospel and making disciples. And so sometimes we can just let what we think are signs distract us from that. And I'm not a big fan of that. So So can I ask a question cool. that I think I can hear our listeners maybe asking who would say, Okay, regardless of whatever your end times views are, or even the view that it's I don't know, and it doesn't matter ultimately. Mm-hmm. What would you say to someone who says we still have like a biblical theological mandate to support the modern nation state of Israel? And if you don't have an answer for that, that's okay too. But do you do you see what I'm saying? Like some people would say like the modern d- state of Israel. Yeah, like, I don't think there's any backing for that. Um, theological backing. Theological backing and for that, the modern state. The government of Israel? Yeah. No. Okay. Because there's corruption everywhere. (laughs) And so um, I think it's, you know, just like people saying, like, um, it's theologically right to support American government, you know, and God will bless us and, you know, God will bless America for supporting Israel. I'm like, I don't see any 
I don't know. Well, but I'm not I'm not as well read on the situation as a lot of you. So that yeah. So I could change my mind, but no, I see I see the correlation you're making. You're saying you're not with the modern state of Israel, but are you saying that they're no longer the chosen people? What do you mean by chosen people? Um, the covenant that um, God made with Moses, the is it called the Mosaic mm. uh, covenant? Because I do see a difference between the two. I do, yeah. And what what happens then in that covenant? They're they're saved without accepting Christ. Yeah, or... that's, that's over that's over my head, uh, but. <laughs> But I do, for whether it's instinctively or because I hear it from Holy Spirit, I do believe that that covenant still exists. Mm. And so my connection with Jewish people is intense, and I mm. feel it. I feel it right to my core. But our relationship with Israel, I see as political. Mm. And so, for example, I I think that we should be supporting Israel because it's the only democracy in that region, mm. and for all kinds of reasons like that. But I don't. I'm not an end times guy. I don't think about end times things mm-hmm. either uh, in the in the way that some people do. Uh, and so I'm. That's not where I'm putting. Yeah. My, my, my you're putting your weight on the political side of it. Mm-hmm. Is that? Yeah. 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 There's all there's all kinds of reasons, and I see what's happening. Um, Erdogan, I believe, who's the president of Turkey, just said something dramatic. Um, I didn't see the headline. I was just discussing it with somebody yesterday. Um, that pits. Um, uh, Muslim people against uh, Christian believing people, for example, mm. or people that are supporting Israel, mm-hmm. and it's over the top. Yeah, you know what he's thinking, and I just go, "Wow, this is Israel needs their support right now." But, but I, but I'm not saying that because of the covenant. I'm saying mm-hmm. that for political reasons. You know, in 1973, one of the reasons why Israel won that war, the Yom Kippur War, is because a president that might not be popular at this table said, "We need to support Israel," mm. and they did. And that helped Israel um, be victorious. That's my understanding. Anyway, and that president was Nixon. There are political reasons for us to support their existence. Mm. Yeah, and I'm thinking about it more more like theologically when people are like, we have to support them. They're God's chosen people. I'm like, I, I, I do believe that there is a special blessing there. There's a history there. I'm not sure. Like, yes, I believe God keeps all of his promises. We see that time and time again. In the Old Testament, when the Israelites walked away from him time and time again, he still kept his covenant, but there were also consequences. Now, there's a new covenant, right? Right. When Jesus died on the cross and rose again, there's a new covenant. And it is said explicitly that if you don't believe in your heart and accept Christ and follow him and make him your king, you're not going to be with him. (laughs) You know, and so... So my yeah. So and not arguing that point. I understand. We we agree. Yeah. When God makes covenants, isn't that forever? Can I, I, don't, I don't know. Can okay. I, put, <laughs> I I don't want to like cut this conversation off. I we are going to get into all of this like in depth. He's cutting. I just this conversation no no no. Out. I just want to give Emily a chance <laughs> yes, to get in. Sorry, Emily. And, and Emily, Emily will probably give us a lot here. <laughs> Because we're still, I think we're still like thirty thousand foot level, and and I I want to have this conversation. Um, I also do just want to clarify, and not I don't want to put words in your mouth, Rachel, but I don't think you're saying like I stand against Israel. Not at all. Yeah. Not at all. Like that is not. But like theologically, yeah, I'm not automatically gonna say I'm gonna be blessed because I stand with Israel. I mm-hmm. can't say that. 
Yeah. First of all, that's prosperity gospel. I don't believe in prosperity gospel. <laughs> so go ahead, Emily. <laughs> yeah. Emily, uh, yeah. the guru you kind of view up with and where you're at now. Yeah. Okay. So um, what I grew up with, right, I was in a non-denominational church when I was younger. And then um, in my formative years, I was in Assemblies of God. Um, and they actually were very close with their view on Israel in the sense that they didn't necessarily teach it from the pulpit, right? But there was always a sense that, like, Israel is God's chosen people and that as Americans, we support Israel. Um, And so that always held then this belief, whether we were taught it or not, that, you know, Israel is God's chosen people and that we have to stand with them, which is really interesting then that we actually take how we stand with Israel and put it in our end times belief. Like we look at Israel and form our eschatology or our belief of the end times. Mm. Um, So I find that fascinating. But I also grew up reading Left Behind and I was like eight years old reading these books, you know, and like sitting up, like reading under the covers with my flashlight, like shaking and then taking out my, um, my adventure Bible and being like, I don't... I don't know if the Bible is saying what Left Behind is saying and which one is true, you know. And so then that actually from a young age led me into this, like, you know, what really does happen in the end times? Like, what role does Israel play? Is that, am I supposed to look to the nation of Israel to check these boxes of events that are happening that are supposed to usher in the kingdom of God? Mm -hmm. Um, So for the last 20 years, you know, I've kind of been on that process. And I thought in my early 20s that I had come to a solid eschatological belief. Um, But Mm. I'd say in the last three years or so, I kind of have been questioning it. Um, So I, I love theology. And because I believe the more that we know God, so theology is just the study of God. So the more we know God, the more we understand and know his love for us and then the more we fall in love with him. And so that's been a process for me of like, just who is God? Like truly. And in that you have to look at his second coming, you know, because he is coming again to take his bride. And so it's led me on this journey of like, what really happens at the end of days? And I don't know if I can say I've arrived at my full theological belief yet. Um, But I have come to the conclusion that he comes for the church and that, and that's kind of where it's at. And, you know, there's a ton of theological beliefs out there. You've got post-millennialism, amillennialism, pre-trib, mid-trib, end-trib, you know, all these things that we can talk about. Star and trib. Yep. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The star trib. (laughs) (laughs) For our listeners, not in Minnesota, that's a newspaper. Yeah, I, just, I just wanted to, I wanted to be relatable. And. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, like all these big words around it, right? Yeah. Um, but the one thing that I keep coming back to is that Christ comes back for his church. Right. And where Israel stands in that, or, and I should, I should clarify where the Jewish people stand with that, because the Jews are the actual chosen people, mm-hmm. not the state of Israel, because I could the, agree with that. The state of Israel, right, is actually made up of a diverse population. Yep. And well, and designed by men and 
I was going to say and women, but no, it was men. Yeah, it was it was men <laughs> over there. Yeah, <laughs> trying to be yeah. inclusive and and yeah, it's and it, those things break and fail. Yeah, every time we make borders, things things get messed up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and like that's what wars are about: are just redefining lines on a map, right? Mm, that's right. And but with real human consequence, and that we're seeing that play out right now. But as far as my theology now around Israel. It's that, like, God's heart is for his creation, obviously, but he is coming for his church. And I believe his church is within Israel, within Judaism, but it also is made up of people around the world. And so... Can I just ask a question? I honor, um, you know, how you study and, and what you know. You can't ignore... And, and because I'm not, I'm, I literally say out loud, I'm not an end times guy. And the reason why I say that is because I can't live my life going any minute now. Yeah. So you know, yeah. no point mowing the lawn. Yeah. You know, I just, I need to, I need to be, I maybe save one more person, get one more person to know the Lord or whatever. Um, but if you, if you see what's going on right now in this, this particular conflict and now with the addition of social media and with the protests across our nation and with Turkey becoming more powerful and less our friend and Russia doing what it's doing and China probably more powerful than they've ever been. You can't look at that on the, on the real life reality political scene and then look at the Bible and not see that we're something's brewing. Right. Yeah. Like never before. Well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that it's necessarily like never before. Um, one of my other favorite pastimes is actually world war two. Yep. Me too. Um, And so if you look at the political scale, like we're still nowhere near the state in which like the 1930s were. It could be brewing to that, Mm -hmm. definitely, um, in the form of anti-Semitism that we're seeing, the rise of communism, fascism, you know, all of that is on the rise. And we're seeing these massive superpowers making pacts, you know, right? Like Russia and China just signed a 50-year pact with each other. Um, but as far as like never before seen, I don't, I don't know if I can say that quite yet because even, even in the time of Jesus, you had the the Roman empire and, and those times were far worse than what we're living in. They were, but you're looking at the end game, you know, what, what ultimately happened. I'm saying with the advent of social media, the entire world is aware like never before the entire world wasn't aware or if they were, they were only aware of what um, the local newspapers were giving. The state of Minnesota was basically one of the, uh, during World War II, we were pretty much anti-World War II. We didn't want to get involved or what Hitler was doing. Ah, it doesn't matter. You know, um, important people in this state, like Charles Lindbergh, mm-hmm. um, was a hero in this state. And he was more a friend. Oh, that might be a bold statement. He was not anti-Hitler uh, in those days. and all that. I'm so then that's... He wasn't the Lone Ranger. We were the country. We're like, yeah, whatever. That's happening over there. Well, now we live in a time where all those things are happening. Not as bad as World War II yet, but with the advent of instant news cycles, and you know, we know what's going on in a flash. Yeah. Well, well we I would we I would push back on that. Like, I don't know if we actually know what's going on because, mm, like, information. Well, well, no. there is right. I agree. Like, yeah. You know, I try and actually like follow if I'm interested in a particular topic, right? So when I found out what our podcast topic was going to be about, I went and searched out people who are actually living there. And 
on both sides so that I could get like real time of like, what are they seeing? Because if you go to Fox News, you're getting one version. You know, they're spinning it in a certain light. You go to CNN and it's spinning in another light, you know. Um, and, and I have a huge problem with that because I want facts so I can make up my own mind. But I, I don't know yeah. how much we're actually getting of what what caused this or and, what. And even media side, like governments have a history of like spinning a narrative to get mm-hmm. the people to support. Yeah. And, yeah. and like Hamas is clearly doing it. But what people don't realize is Israel is actually doing it, too. Like they are arresting their own citizens that are coming out saying like questioning what what the the um, what is that the IDF is doing like or they've they, where they were on October 7th. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and so it, there's misinformation. So I don't know how much we're actually going on. Right. They want to they give us this information they want us to make our minds up about it, about the information they're giving us. Correct. Which and is the fog of war, which has always been the case and, and perhaps always will be, is you have to get whatever information you can get and then decide how real it is. Yeah. Some people, um, I know people that are actually in, in Israel right now. One person in particular is a, um, is a Christian um, who is there on purpose, and, but because she was born Jewish, she was able to become a citizen and so on. So she's there. She's a reporter for a news agency. And so I'm getting her perspective and it's intense. Mm-hmm. And I am not getting uh, the Palestinian perspective, but I'm just going to confess that. Mm. But I have seen what she's been doing. Yeah. As and relate- see, I've gone out of my way to try and find the Palestinian because I came into this conflict with my already formed views of Israel from my 28 years of life of like, you know, not realizing that Israel, the state, and the Jewish people as God's chosen people are actually separate. You know, that's a new belief for me that yeah. I had to research. And so I've I've been on the side of, if you want to say pro-Israel, right? But this conflict has opened my eyes into the fact, like, there is a whole other side that there were people that were living there for thousands of years until 1948, you know, and I think we're do you feel getting like they a were little, pushed out? Um, I think we're getting a, we want to talk theologies yeah. right now, so I think we'll get to that. Yeah, I do. I do have a thought on that. Very specific. I'll be, I'll, I'd like to hear that. Yeah. Um, were you done like explaining your your context? I I know there's so much there. Yeah, I yeah. guess. I mean, so basically, I believed you know in Israel when I was younger. Um, you know, pro-Israel and all that stuff. And nowadays I would say I'm in the process. Yeah. That's kind of where I'm at. Dan, I have a question for you. Did mm-hmm. you share your view yet? I no, I haven't. Okay. Okay. After. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I've been thinking about this and I want to be careful when I share this, that I don't think my view growing up came from any one person. So I'm not saying my parents explicitly put this on me. I think it's just a combination of um, like evangelical culture. Going to a Christian school was a big part of it. Um, And then just like where you live is a big part of that too. Um, And so I would say like in, at least in Christian terms, like, the state of the the nation state of Israel was always elevated 
in my mind as like God's chosen people. Like that's a special nation state above head and shoulders above all the other nation states. Um, and that was like, if, it, if that was not said explicitly, it was demonstrated symbolically. Like you'd see um, the Israeli flag, like, underneath the American flag or, you know, churches that had flags, like they'd put all the nation's flags up, but the American and the Israeli flag were up there. And so it was like a a statement of like, these things are important and everything else comes under that. And um, yeah, definitely the language of Israel as God's chosen people was explicitly said a lot. And so you, you hear that enough growing up. And then that's just kind of what you accept without even um, looking into that. And I think over the years as I've just just read the New Testament, like not even come at this question with an agenda to have it answered, but I've been like sometimes how I read the Bible is to like camp out on a book, like especially in the New Testament to just keep re- keep reading Ephesians or Colossians or Galatians and just just let it keep speaking to me. And then what's come out of that is, man, it seems like God, when he talks about a chosen people and a, a chosen nation, he's not talking about an actual nation state. He's talking about a new family that he's mm-hmm. created. And so... um. I have some scriptures and I'm not here to just like drop verses out of context and then just say, there's my case. (laughs) You can't refute that. But I think it's helpful to like actually just read scripture and then say, you can still hold to the view that um, the nation state of Israel is like, there's a theological reason to support that. You can hold that, but you need to wrestle with this too, at the very least. Mm. Um, so, um, I'm just going to just take a few minutes to read through some scriptures. If you want clarity or if you want to push back on anything, I realize just for the sake of time, like I won't be reading all of this in context, but I will just give the references and encourage people to go read the full context, which I, which I have, cause I, I really did want to be faithful to what's being said here. So. And and just for clarification, full context isn't just reading the whole chapter. It's like taking into consideration the culture, yes, who the book is speaking to, yeah, um, all that how it was written, how it the, was written, the yeah. actual original language and the meaning of the original words. Yeah. So, yeah. anyways, go ahead. So, uh, okay, Galatians three seven through nine. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. Um, Galatians three sixteen through 17, the promise was spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say to seeds, meaning many people, but to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. And I'm going to like kind of key in on that later because ultimately I think if I'm going to sum up what I believe now, it's that I think God's promises to Israel in the Bible times were fulfilled in the person of Jesus. Mm. And that's not to say that he's 
done with the Jewish people, and I'll get into that too. But yeah, we'll just keep reading because <laughs> I think I think these verses kind of make a case for themselves. Galatians three twenty eight through twenty nine. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for there is all one in Christ. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Romans 9 through 11 is just like really dense and, and really powerful. So I would just encourage people to go read those three chapters. Um, here's some, some things that I've picked up on from that passage. Um, Romans 9, 6 through 8. Now it is not as though the word of God has failed. Not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. Like that's, it's very that's super powerful. Yeah. Neither is it the case that all of Abraham's children are his descendants. On the contrary, your offspring will be traced through Isaac. Verse eight. That is not the children by physical descent who are God's children, but the children of the promise. And so help me out with that. Just like expound on it. Yeah. Expound on it, please. Cause I'm, yeah. Well, I think I think I, you could take that in two contexts. Okay. One, because when you have Abraham, right, you actually had um, Hagar's son. Why am I blanking on his name? Anyway, Ishmael. Ishmael. There we go. Right. So right there, it deals with a physical descendant because that's where we get a lot of the Islam world is the descendants mm-hmm. of Ishmael. Okay, that explains it to me. That, well, that's one aspect of it that you could take it as is a physical offspring. But the other, uh, you know, way that you can take it is that the offspring is is the heirs of Christ, which are the ones that follow Christ, right? Yeah. Like that, that they would be the seed. Okay. Like I could see that that verse. Yeah. Without without doing a, a deep dive study yeah. right now, I could yep. see it going in two ways. Yeah. yeah, I I totally agree, and I'm I'm not just trying to dump a whole bunch of scripture and then say, see, I'm right. I I'm just presenting it, would, it wouldn't matter to me <laughs> I'd, I'd still be willing to take it on so. yeah <laughs> um, <laughs> Romans 2 11 through 22 this is a little lengthy but like I just feel like it's it's painting a picture okay so just just have a little patience <laughs> so then remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcised by those called the circumcised. So basically saying the Jewish called you the Gentiles, which is done by flesh by human hands. Verse 12, at that time you were without Christ and you were excluded from the citizenship of Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise. So he's saying like you Gentiles were not included in this promise that God made to Israel. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace who made both groups one. Verse 19. Sorry. Yeah. Let's, no, that's let's good. Pause. No, no, no. That's good. But that still leads me to believe that they're the chosen people. Just means that we're grafted in. Yes. But I think there needs to be a distinction, though, that the chosen people are those that believe in Jesus. So pre the cross, they looked forward to the coming Messiah, right? They didn't have his name. So they were looking forward to the Messiah. And so they were the chosen people. 
And yeah. then after the cross, everyone was looking back to the cross and the resurrection. And then those are the people that, even though they're Gentile, right, they're crafted in. We have the, the scripture about the olive tree. And I think I understand what you're saying. I just still can't let go of the fact that God's covenants are forever. So I believe that we're grafted in and part of the chosen people. I can I can believe that, but I don't think that excludes is or, uh, Jews. No, we're not saying it excludes. They would exclude themselves by not believing in Jesus. That's how that would work. And so the covenant is not null and void. The covenant covenant is the same, right? It is the Messiah, the Savior. And and when he came, they rejected him, which is why then it was sent out to the Gentiles. Paul talks about that extensively. Mm-hmm. He even says, right, like, I'm going to go preach to the Gentiles so that you are provoked to jealousy because I ultimately want you to be brought back in. Correct. And so it is not excluding the Jews and saying you're no longer the chosen people because the Messianic Jews, I believe, are are absolutely the chosen people. But I also believe that the Gentile believers, that includes all of us in the room, are the chosen people, that we are the seed of Abraham. We were a part of that original promise because God doesn't, he is outside of time, right? He's not just stuck in the like lineage. He was already looking forward to those grafted in. And so in that promise to Abraham, we were in that. And so that that promise has not gone, but it's, it's bigger full extent is being revealed. So he has more descendants than around the world than he would if it was just his, his blood lineage. But instead his lineage is, the blood of Christ, which covers us all. Yeah. And I think, I think that's the point that I'm expressing at, of where I'm at now is that these promises weren't done away with. It's not like um, Israel rejected Jesus. And then he's like, well, I'm going to go start something new called mm-hmm. the church. It was, um, he fulfilled the promise because he was, he was Jewish. He was mm-hmm. an Israelite. He was the faithful Israelite. And then, like, he is fulfilling the promise to to Abraham to bless all the nations because now, like, this whole invitation of the gospel is, is going out into all the nations. Um, and so the language that I'm picking up here and the theme is that, uh, I think you said it, Emily, the chosen people is not a specific people group, it's God's people, it's God's family, which includes anyone, including Jewish people who claim, yeah, Jesus that came and died and rose again is is the Messiah. Because I think if we look at it as the Jewish people are the chosen God, chosen people of God, then it actually negates what Christ completed on the cross and in the resurrection, right? Because there is no salvation without Jesus. And so that is how you are the chosen people. Yeah, I'm not disagreeing with your theology. I'm disagreeing with the math. Um, so I'm just saying that um, once a covenant, always a covenant. That's all. Mm-hmm. And and, and I, I sense that you're disagreeing with that because they haven't chosen Jesus. I get that. No, I'm not disagreeing with it. I am saying that that covenant absolutely stands true. But being Jewish in blood does not 
guarantee that you are a part of that chosen people because it is through the blood of Christ so that, that the covenant applies to. I understand. That would be a clear area where we disagree. And but, but So do you, let me ask then, do you think that all Jewish people, all descendants of Abraham are, are saved? Um, that are descendants of Jacob? Mm-hmm. I can't say that I believe that, but it doesn't change the fact that they are the chosen people. So, so then what does it mean then if they're the chosen people? Well, it, there's um, not having verses right in front of me on the topic. It means that there are things that it speaks in the Bible about honoring um, the Jews and uh, recognizing that you don't think, um, Rachel, that you know there's um, all kinds of warm, fuzzy things that happen to you if you support them. I do believe that. I do believe that us honoring um, Jews is biblical and that we're supposed to, mm-hmm. and that good things will come to us in the same way that if you honor your father and mother, you know, the, your yeah. road will be good. My, my only thought on that line is that, like, first of all, Jesus tells us that in this world we will have present trials and tribulations because we follow him. And so, so the the blessing to me that we receive is not for the earth. You know, yes, do we receive earthly blessings 100%, but ultimately our blessing is within eternity. And so therefore, like being a Jew, like as the chosen people, if it doesn't have an eternal significance, what's the point then of still being the chosen people? Because if you die without Christ, like you... Yeah, I don't know. Um, you know, you're you're bringing up good points, but then then I look at the miracles that are happening. I'm not talking about Old Testament. Now I'm looking at the miracles that have happened in my lifetime. Mm-hmm. They have tried to squash Israel for for the last seventy years, or however many years. Seventy five, yeah. Seventy five, and can't. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it's it's just one of the most amazing. Uh, evidences of God's favor over those people. Yeah, I think it's and to bring has, His glory. Still, you know, well, I'm not negating any of that. Yeah, yeah. but I'm just sometimes I look at that and I go, "Oh my gosh, this is literally impossible." It would be like the United States coming against New Jersey, and New Jersey be winning. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like which is which is like impossible, but it's happened and it's happened multiple times in my lifetime, and I think it's going to happen again in your lifetime. Um, and I just look at that and I go, I don't know, there's still something here. Is it is it possible to say, like, yes, the hand of God can be in that and over that and on that? That's still not a, a theological position. Like, God can just protect people. Because one thing I do want to say is in Romans 11, uh, Emily, I think you were talking about the olive tree. Paul does make it clear that, like, Gentiles shouldn't get conceited about them being grafted in mm. and the Jews being cut off because he says like, hey, if he if he could cut some of the Jews off, he can cut you off again too. And uh, I think in, let's see, in Romans eleven twenty three, it mentions that God has the power to graft Israel in again. And there's, I'm not sure where I stand on like how much of Israel that is. And I'm talking about like the Jewish People, those who Jewish people who've rejected, the state. yeah. Like, is God is God a universalist in the sense of the Jewish people? Like, He's going to save all of them at one point, or just those who turn to Him? I don't know. Because um, Paul in one one section says, uh, I don't have it in front of me. 
he uses the word all. And then um, in another section he quotes Isaiah and he mentions a remnant. So, mm. But, I mean, he could be using all in the sense of all of the remnant, you yeah, know. Yeah. It, again, that goes back to taking things in context and doing that lexical study. Yeah. You know, but I find it fascinating, right, when we're talking about the olive tree, like to be grafted in means that there's an original. Yeah. And so we still have the original chosen people, the original Israelites, the Jews, and that when Christ came, like the Gentiles were grafted in. And actually even before Christ came, right, in Jesus's lineage, we have Gentiles. Right. And so even even before the cross, Gentiles could choose to become Jewish. They had to follow the laws. So this gets back to the math. Mm-hmm. Um, what is our foundation? You know, we, we believe, you know, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that's how we are saved, and I get that, and, I, and that's a decision that everybody has to make. But it that tree was planted in the soil mm-hmm. of the chosen people. Yeah, so my understanding of it is that, or... I should say a viewpoint that I have looked at and have studied would state that that original tree was planted and grew to bring forth Jesus. And so the Jewish being chosen, right, was to bring Jesus forth, who is proclaimed from the foundation so of the, the world. he's the fruit of that tree. He is the very fruit of that tree, right? He is the lineage, the promise of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. As, as our forefathers, but then by his blood, so, so the blood is still the lineage, we are heirs then. We are grafted in. We are the seed of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you know? And so, like, that's where you have the two covenants, right? They don't negate each other. The covenant was still made with our forefathers that, that they are the chosen people, right? And they brought forth the Messiah, who came for all, and then you see the Jews reject him. Okay. Not all of them. You know, we wouldn't have the church if it wasn't for the Jewish people. Correct. Absolutely. But there's that new covenant where then the blood of Jesus has grafted in so the is Gentiles. It, is it your impression that that tree is dead? No, because if it was dead, we couldn't be grafted in. Okay. But I, he does clearly state, though, that there, are, there have been branches that are cut off. And so while I believe the Jewish are the chosen people, right, to bring forth the Messiah, that was was a first part of the covenant. And when the second part came in, the, the fulfillment of it is for all people in all nations. And mm-hmm. so it's not just that the Jews are, are the chosen people. It is the church. And the church includes the Jewish people. But if they reject Christ, they step out of that blessing. I like the way that you said the first part of the covenant and the second part of the covenant rather than old and new covenant, because that actually helps my brain a bit, because like I think of the new covenant as like a new and improved version yeah. of the old covenant, mm-hmm. because it's it's actually easier. Yeah, and I it's, would... You know, it... And I would say that you could even classify it as first and second, right? The first original revealed covenant, and then the cross is then another fuller revelation of the covenant i think one thing that's helpful for me anyway i heard it framed this way is that and maybe this is just me pushing back against what i've felt like is being presented to me but like god does not have 
two brides or two chosen peoples. Like there's just one. Yeah. And that is for for anyone who wants to believe in him and say, yes, you are the Messiah. Yeah. So the idea that God has like Project Church and then Project Israel, I just, I have a hard time seeing that in scripture. Should we, should we put in the big words for these of what this is called? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's go there. Yeah. So if I was to put people in camps right now, we would have Jay Bryan as a dispensationalist. So that basically states um, in a in a certain extent that the church and Israel are somewhat separate, and um, dispensationalism really focuses on on end times, um, but they do have other beliefs that funnel into it, right? Um, but basically, that God God is going to take the church. They they call it the rapture. Um, Fun fact for everyone, take this as you will. Rapture is not in the Bible, that word. So, you know, hot take. Um, but anyway, so so God takes the church, and so then he can turn and deal with Israel. And and so that it they kind of state like God's heart is still towards towards Israel as the chosen people. And so the he takes the church to to focus on Israel. And um, do what? bring them back to him. Okay. I can live there. Which, mm-hmm. which, I, so I would not say I'm a dispensationalist, but I, I see the possibility in scripture for God bringing either a remnant or maybe all. I mean, I don't know where I stand on that. I'm, I'm undecided. Yeah. So with dispensationalists, they really do elevate Israel. Yeah. Like that's a huge um, proponent of it, um, they would look, they clearly look to Israel to indicate where we're at in end times. Um, we are in the sixth dispensation, sixth des- yeah, out of seven. Yep. So, um, I don't. So, in the sixth dispensation is when Israel really gets noticed. Yeah. And, and by dispensation, that basically just means like a period of time. Because mm-hmm. when I when I look this up, basically what dispensationalism is is a belief that God deals and acts with humanity differently in different periods of time. Is that accurate? Yep. Yeah. And there's actually a lot of camps within dispensationalism, Mm -hmm. like super fascinating. Two dispensationalists can sit in a room and completely disagree with one another. Mm. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. So, and, um, I just lost where I was going. Well, and, so well, I if just, that's me, who are you? If I'm a am dispensationalist, I? I'm Emily. Well, Hi, would, Emily. You, <laughs> would you feel like that describes you? I don't have. A, <clears throat> excuse me. I don't have a problem with it. Um, and honestly, you know, at this table, I'm probably the least informed with terms like that. I'm certainly that's not. A, that's no, okay. No, I, I'm probably right there with you. I'm, yeah. I'm not a. I'm not. Uh, I try not to be a fan of labels, but I don't mind them. I mean, I, if it if it, if I happen to fall in that camp, and I might, but. Having said that, so where where do you lie? Um, Let me just interject right in here and say um, all of these views, if they are not rooted in the hope of Christ, mm-hmm. if they're rooted in fear, they're wrong. And yeah, each person yeah. can have the same view, and one might be rooted in fear and one might be rooted in hope. The ones that are rooted in fear are wrong because yeah. the end times is bringing about the kingdom of Christ. It's yeah. not something yeah. to be feared. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. And I would add to that. Even like a self righteousness, like 
Mm-hmm. I hold this view because Paul, Paul really does come down against like, don't think you got here by yourself. Like God cut you off from this, this tree. So good. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. So dispensation too, I think it's worthy to note is a fairly new belief. Hmm. Um, So none of the the church fathers held it like the, the original church fathers. Yeah. So, so as I looked into it and heard, people talk about dispensationism, they state that while they didn't use that language, that they, in the, in the old church, they saw the themes. Mm. Um, so they would hold that, that it's been there since the early church. But really, um, if we were to put the, the early church in a category, they would actually fall more into what's called replacement theology or um, supersessionism. Um, so dispensationalism, though, came about in like the 1800s with the Schofield Bible, um, and and that had a lot of like footnotes and stuff like explaining scripture, and so that's where that belief kind of came out of. And I find it fascinating that even even still today, some of the footnotes he has, people are really confused by what he's saying. So dispensationism is is kind of like choppy on the timeline, and you have to jump around scripture and and they put things in this like what they would call a logical timeline of events of of the end times so mm-hmm. and so when you say footnotes explaining scripture it's his his view of scripture not yeah because i mean because you can look at like revelation and and matthew 24 and come out with completely different and both you can back up with scripture so mm-hmm. yeah and I also think it's interesting that um, some uh, okay. So I'll just back up and say what I am not well versed in is bi- biblical prophecy regarding end times. End times, and a lot of it. I mean, a lot of people struggle with it, but it just seems like very not abstract, but like. It seems like it, it is the easiest to make it say what you want to say because it is mm-hmm. like not concrete. It's dealing in images and mm-hmm. beasts. And so like whatever period or era you come from, you can say, well, this nation is that beast or right. this, this event. True. And so there's a tendency there to like want to map biblical prophecy onto current events. It's very subjective. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's all and we see. It's This is all we know. Yeah. Yep. So we look at yeah. it from that lens. And, and it's fascinating to, to look back through history, right? Because a lot of, we could say, let's take Matthew 24, for example. Yeah. Um, there is an argument to be made that the prophecy that Jesus was saying has actually been fulfilled, like the destruction of the temple. What, what is the scripture? Matthew 24. No, no. Yeah, read it. Sorry. You read the... I mean, read the footnotes version. I don't have the footnotes. For, oh. No, no. Make me footnote Well, you got it. a verse? Yeah. Dun, 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 well, all dun, dun, of... Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> I'm writing my own Bible now, guys. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Is this the verse oh. two, truly I tell you not one stone will be left on another? Yeah. So all of chapter 24 would... People would say is signs of the end times, right? That it's prophecy. Um, so when he starts out talking about the destruction of the temple, he, you know, he says, you, 
you will see all these that that not one stone will be upon another. Well, we see the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. So now are we are we going to say that this prophecy is for end times? So the temple is going to be rebuilt and then destroyed again? Or was this a, a preterist um, prophecy, right? So when, when Jesus said this, when it was written down, it was not yet fulfilled, but now it is fulfilled. That's the term preterist. Um, so do we believe that that prophecy has been fulfilled? There's camps then that say, nope, it hasn't, and the temple is going to be rebuilt. And, and they look at Israel and say, oh, wow, they're actually breeding the red cow so that they can have the proper blood for so the... I have questions about that. What would those people say the purpose is of a temple and the red heifer in light of Jesus? Well, they would look at it as because the Jews don't believe Jesus was the son of God, that they're still operating under the, the, the original covenant. So they need to have the temple. They need to have the altar to sacrifice because they're still waiting the coming of the Messiah. And, and so for 2,000 years now, they haven't been offering sacrifices. Why is that? If they believe that Jesus was not the Messiah, why haven't they been offering sacrifices? Well, because until 1948, they were not in the Holy Land. So they, they believe that you either had to have the Ark of the Covenant, mm. or once the temple was built, you had to have the altar. Like you have to have the sanctified materials that God commanded to perform the the sacraments, the the offerings. And so that's part of what we're seeing, right? Is like the Jews want to take back over the the holy sites. They want to rebuild the temple. They're breeding the red heifer so they have the proper blood. They are excavating, looking for the Ark of the Covenant still. Um, you know, they're they're gathering gold and stuff to remake all the the items for the temple. And so people in dispensationalism would believe that all of that has to come back together because the destruction of the temple has to take place. And then we have also the, um, the abomination of desolation, which we could also argue might already be completed as well because they, they offered um, the sacrifice of a pig upon the altar in, in like the 70 AD range as well. But they believe that that the Antichrist is going to come down and offer a sacrifice on the altar, and and then he's going to destroy the temple. So these are like events that they are looking to for a sign of the end times. Seems pretty definitive. I mean, I recognize that you could... um, It'll be interesting if in the coming weeks, months, or years, if anything like that is happening, you'd be able to go, uh... I think this is it. It's, mm-hmm. I mean, that's pretty. I mean, imagine, imagine an emperor, or I'm sorry, a leader from Turkey, for example, coming down and and performing such a thing in Israel. Just imagine if that happening. Would you go? Would you go? Oh, I read that. Like this yeah. is it. Yeah, absolutely. And like, for me personally, right? I love knowing these things. Um. Whether whether like these two items specifically have possibly been completed already, there is a very strong argument for that, that they have already been completed. But if they haven't, if it was a sort of completion or a, a type of what is to come, then 
you know, knowing this, right, when that happens, then I can go, okay, now I understand how that prophecy is being fulfilled, and I can continue looking for the coming of Christ, right? So that would turn you into a dispensationalist, would it, if those things happen? Like, oh, I guess I was wrong about... <laughs> um, or, I mean, I guess we can be open. I think, I think what it would do for me, right, yeah. is maybe put me on a certain path of, like, like being able to definitively say, okay, an order of events have been triggered. Sure. Versus like, I still wouldn't hold to the belief in dispensationalism that the church and Israel are separate Mm. in the sense of being chosen people or that God is going to take the church so that he can then just deal with Israel. As in like he, he can only focus on one people group at a time. Like that, that to me takes the power away of his omniscience and his omnipotence. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it would not make me view, like change a, like, yeah. how I view the church or the chosen people, but it would, it would just be like, okay, I can now, these are prophecies. We're on a, a track of events. Just like a big one right now is Ezekiel 38 and the war of Gog and Magog. So a lot of people are saying that that is Russia and they're taking prophecies like they are, they are heading east right now, which Russia is heading into Ukraine, but then they're going to all of a sudden turn and head west, which is going to be going against Israel. And they're using um, how so Russia how- and China made the 50-year pact. Is that because they're heading west in Ukraine right now? Does that change anything? No, nope, I just flipped my okay, okay. directions, you right. know. Sorry. Because I'm sitting here in... Elk River, Minnesota, and right now my wife is listening, saying, "Let her, don't leave her alone." Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely. Um, no, but we want to get those details right. So yes, so just so Gog and Magog are not from Lord of the Rings. I mean, you could say that J.R. Tolkien was, uh, you know, speaking about biblical prophecy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Okay. Uh, no, but it's it's just it's super fascinating, right? Because people say Ezekiel thirty eight is is an end time prophecy of Israel being attacked, and that God is going to so these nations all around surrounding Israel are going to attack, and that no one is going to come to Israel's defense, and God is going to completely wipe out the armies to the point where they are going to have fuel for seven years. It says that they don't have to use any of their own natural resources. So the Bible talks about it being wood. So like the spears and stuff are broken down as firewood. Obviously, if this prophecy is for nowadays, we'd probably say like the the gas in the tanks or, you know, the oil. Or their oil fields. Yeah, that they, they use all the other resources mm. instead of their own. Um, well, and it's interesting because then you can go, well, was that 1967? Was that 1973? 67, they were at the Lone Ranger. 73, they had help. Yeah, but there's a, there are a lot of details within Ezekiel 38 that are very specific in how it is God alone that defeats the enemies. Like the whole world watches in awe of how I think it's even within one day. The, it looks hopeless for Israel, and in one day God completely destroys and that it but, takes seven months for Israel to bury the enemy's dead. But even that time, like time in the Bible, it, it could still be like a figurative time. Like one day yeah. could equal yeah. a year or something like that. It, it so, could, other than the fact like Ezekiel was written 
when when time was pretty well established. Mm, okay. You know, like if that argument was in Genesis before the fall. Sure. I could I could maybe see it. Sure. But got it. You know, but so many people are looking to Israel right now and looking at especially Russia and China and um Iran, you know, Iran is really ramping up. They're using their proxies to to come mm-hmm. at Israel. But so many people, especially within the dispensationalist camp, which crazy is is the majority of the Western church. It is. Yeah. Um like I mean, that's what believe. left behind is kind of based on. Yeah, yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Um, I do think we need to give credit to the authors that they wrote that as fiction and that it was not necessarily yes. their theological belief. Like, I feel they get a lot of a lot of rap when they were just trying to write a good story yeah. and everyone took it as biblical prophecy. Because the Western church doesn't know their Bible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But so I just, I don't know, I found it fascinating listening to to people who believe different things and how they're viewing events right now. Mm. But I see a huge focus on Ezekiel 38. Hey, Dan, I have a question for you. Yes. So you lived in Australia until you were 12? Yeah, 15. Fif- yep. 15, okay. So were there... Was that like a similar view as the view in like the American church? Was it similar or was there a difference? I'm really curious on that. I mean, I think the real question we have to ask is, did you go to Hillsong? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. Um, Another podcast. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Let me recalibrate. Um, It's hard hard for me to remember... Because um, I was 15 and like, honestly, I just didn't care. Sure. About stuff like that. I, I was not a deep thinker like I am today. Um, I just cared about. He play, said humbly. PlayStation. Yeah, sorry. No, <laughs> just to my to my fault. Like my kids will be eating with me at the dinner table and I'll be like, Dad, what, what are you thinking about? You're staring off into space. So anyway, my point is... Um, I would feel like generally I I think in Australia the view is like in, within Christianity stand with with Israel mm. but I did notice when we moved here it was like intense like I would say in Australia churches didn't have like the flags or um pray for the peace of Jerusalem like that that was not like a feature of our services like we got Christian nationalism. Yeah, I and I think some of that is like Australia is a lot more secular, and so like there's just a lot more focus on on being the church and being Christians rather than like what's going on in our nation. And um, so, yeah, I'm holding back so so, so many snarky comments. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine that focusing on being the church. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm not saying we, that was perfect, but like that. Right, yeah. That yeah we yeah. have our own set of problems there, but yeah. Yeah.
Okay, so um, that is dispensationalism, and that particular viewpoint we've talked a lot about um, end times theology because they do place a heavy emphasis on that. Um, the other two viewpoints that we wanted to just touch on briefly regarding theology around Israel um, is fulfillment theology and replacement theology, and those are actually pretty close. Okay, um, fulfillment theology holds that the promises and covenants made to Israel in the Old Testament are fulfilled in Jesus Christ and the church. Does that make sense to everyone? Okay, and replacement theology would say that the church has completely replaced Israel as God's chosen people and the promises to Israel are null and void in favor of the church. So there's, they're similar, but one would say like, no, God didn't do away with his promises to Israel. They, they didn't forfeit that. They were just fulfilled in Jesus. So it's a slight distinction, but hmm. I think it's important because we're talking about is God good on his promises? I think you brought that up a lot. And it, it matters to me. In fact, I, yeah. I base my marriage vows on the same way. It's a covenant, not just a contract, and it has to matter. Mm-hmm. And that's that's. I feel <laughs> there is a uh, that has to be forever, or or nothing. It's like then what matters? If God's word doesn't matter forever, then what what could what could possibly matter in my world? So I think it's just important to recognize that. We can have different views, um, but one thing a dispensationalist and a proponent of fulfillment theology could agree on is that God is good on his promises. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't know if replacement theology proponents would say that. Um, I don't know. I think I think replacement Theology people might disagree with this definition too. I think there's a spectrum of people who would actually say, yeah, I agree with that definition too, that it was fulfilled in, in Jesus. So yeah, I would hold those definitions loosely maybe. Yeah, I actually, as I was researching, right, I've heard the terms, but I didn't know them super well. Yeah. Um, most everywhere that I looked up replacement theology, they actually went into the fact that this probably isn't theologically correct. So, so oh, every simply because, and they used the the olive tree being grafted in mm. so strongly for the fact that, like, God did not cut down the tree because if He cut down the tree, then you cannot be grafted into it. Yeah, because it's dead; it's gone. You know, and and they kind of like replacement theology really holds to Old Testament of how God dealt with Israel and the fact that he would like allow them to be occupied or overthrown because of their disobedience. Yeah. And so replacement theology is like, well, you lost your blessing as the chosen people because of your disobedience because you rejected Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, which I mean, there's an element of truth, but I don't, I don't think that's the full extent of it. You know? Yeah. Like, I don't think that they lost their, blessing because they are disobedient. I think it's simply that we were grafted in. Yeah. So it is interesting to me that that was kind of the predominant view for a long time and yet maybe not theologically correct. 
Yeah, yeah. Or our understanding of what the early church believed. Maybe we misunderstood it a little bit in their writings because it was 2,000 years ago. Yeah. You know, because like a lot of the sources I had used like Athanasius or Origen. Um, Okay. But kind of when I've read their works and stuff, I'd say it was more of fulfillment theology. Yeah. You know, that Jesus was the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham and then that the church is grafted into that. Yep. So, I mean, I think that's the the big words that we have out there. <laughs> yes. Yep. So, any other thoughts on on those terms and definitions? Nope. One thing I did find interesting, and I know this to be true, um, these three camps, people can kind of blend and shift between them mm-hmm. because I know. Um, dispensationalists would say, okay, we're in the, the sixth dispensation. dispensation. Yeah. Thank you. Um, and, and they would say the next one to come is the kingdom and charismatics would kind of say either the kingdom is now or it's now and not yet. And so there are, I, I know of charismatic dispensationalists who would say, yes, the kingdom is now and not yet, but still hold to a view that God has a plan with Israel. And so it's kind of like a, a hybrid of, yes, the kingdom is now, but but there's still something to come with Israel. Yeah. And so I really think we see that in the Western church. Yeah. Like I find it so fascinating at how tightly the Western church holds to Israel and how it literally has formed what we call Christian nationalism. Like, like, the conservative church holds so tightly that America is so great and they base it so much on the fact that we support Israel. And I mean, that's like a really big lump um, statement right there, but at the heart that it's, that is what it boils down to. And until you take a hard look at your theology, you don't even start to question that because like you said, it's the American flag and then the Israeli flag. You know, yeah. and so maybe just an aside, when we look at those verses, at least that I was brought up with, um, you know, that says "Pray for the peace of Jerusalem" or "I will bless those who bless Israel." I'm not sure where that comes from, so I might be butchering that. But those verses, are we using them in the right context when we? <laughs> I mean, I, the only time I feel like I've read those is in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they are Old Testament. I can say that. Yeah, and it and it was a declaration to the nations around Israel in that time period, and so it was a warning from God saying, "These are my chosen people, and so if you bless them, I will bless you, but if you curse them, ooh, you better run for the hills, boy." Mm-hmm. You know. Um, so, and, and you feel like that's gone away, or you feel like that's still present. Well, it gets back to, are we talking about Israel, the nation state, or the Jewish people? Yeah, and I really can, I can separate the two. Yeah. Well, I mean, as Americans, I I can say that, like, the American church seems to support the nation of Israel. Mm -hmm. They don't differentiate. I don't think people even realize that there is a differentiation. Um, You you might, but... uh, Right, and and I do. I, I think you're both right, 
I think that's probably the case. But I do see a difference. I just happened to, you know, John and I were having a parking lot conversation. John, Dan and I were having a parking lot conversation a few minutes ago. Um, I do see a difference, but I see I see value in the nation state of Israel, the political place of Israel existing, uh, surviving this, and being a democracy in that region of the world. So politically, and I, I tend to be political, mm-hmm. I can see a, a benefit of that. I do see it as different than the Jewish people and the covenant between God and Jews. Yeah. And what I think I have a, a, a problem with, like, n- not with yours, but like um, people mixing the two. So, you know, them saying, Which like, we support true. the nation of Israel and we're going to, and America, the nation, is going to be blessed because of it. That, that just rubs me the wrong way. <laughs> yeah, the uh, and I'm not sure where I land on that, but I but I do tend to see the difference between supporting Jews mm-hmm. and supporting the nation of Israel. Um, so I don't I don't know that there's a well. Let me say it like this. Um, let's take out the word blessing. I see uh, positives absolutely in the nation of Israel uh, surviving this and continuing to prosper and grow. I think that is to the benefit of this country and other countries around the world for all kinds of reasons, mm-hmm. not just because of their economy or the things that they make there and things like that. Um, but I, uh, but I do separate that mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. from uh, the Jews and the chosen people. Yeah. And there's not a lot of uh, religious Jews in Israel, so it's an interesting. Yeah, differentiation. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess to an- to answer your question of if I still believe that that Old Testament scripture of like, bless Israel and you'll be blessed, curse them and you'll be cursed. I think that trans, I don't know if I want to use the word transition. I think it's still upon God's chosen people. Um, But that, that includes the grafted in church. And so it is not the state of Israel and it is not exclusively Jews. So us serving our Christian brothers, uh, will also bless us. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. But I also think because we've been mandated by Christ, right, to love our enemies, that there's also a blessing that comes from loving your enemy. Ooh. Mm. (laughs) I feel like we are shifting to the actual conflict at hand. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Fun. So, Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah, I guess guess just as another note in that transition... I I have heard people say, and I'm not saying that you've said this, that uh, this language of we support Israel, and they're talking about the nation state, we stand with them unequivocally, almost to the extent of like they can do no wrong. Yeah. And they base that in a theological mm-hmm. conviction, like we must stand. And I think that's a dangerous place to yeah, go. I- mm-hmm. Well, what I find interesting about people that take that position um, I think it's necessary that there are those that take that position because most of the other positions, even with government officials, for example, that are supposedly air quotes um, supporting Israel, in the same breath or within the same press conference will say, but we also need to be thinking about you know the Palestinian people in Hamas. And I mean, literally, um, President Biden this week, and this will probably air several weeks from now, but but President Biden this week says we fully support Israel, and then the next day, 
um, needed to either back that off a little bit or just explain that better. But we are very concerned about the Palestinian people too, and 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 so it's like it's I don't all have lip a service. With that, I don't. Well, yeah. No, but uh, you might not have a problem with that. But um, what he he was referring not just to the protection of the Palestinian people, but by some things that we're going to be discussing in a few minutes, like you know squashing the enemy and. And things like that, which I do tend to support. Proportional response. Proportional response, yeah. Which is so, which I am ex- very excited for us to talk about. I'm just saying that <laughs> that that if a politician stands up there and says, "Well, on one hand, and then on the other hand," I become instantly suspicious because yeah. I want you to take a swearing in my head position on this. What is right or not? Do you have an opinion on mm. this or not? And when I see it going back and forth, I go, oh, come on. And so those Is people, it just politicians you have a problem? I do. With? Okay. I do. So if I it's, say, <laughs> if I say, yes, I condemn Hamas for what they did on October 7th, and I also have questions and a problem with what might be like a disproportionate response or civilians on the Palestinian side because it's not just Palestinians I think I think we need to like define what we mean when we say Palestinians because that that means predominantly well until 1948 it was until 1948 it was Jews so do we want to like back up and maybe talk about how we even got to October 7th I just love hearing everybody talk about my birthday <laughs> Yikes! Was that your birthday? It is, and one of the reasons this is. Do you know the phrase? Uh, well, I guess they took away his birthday. That's how I feel. In the last four weeks, oh. every every reference to October seventh is negative and death. So yeah. you know, thirteen oh. people. I mean, really, and, and yeah. you know, we obviously we talk about it today. I've got it in my notes. Yeah, but it's it's not funny. Yeah, yeah. it's it's not about me, but it's like, wow. <laughs> it's like yeah. those who had a December seventh birthday, right? Yeah, it, it is. Or or nine eleven. You know, on and on. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, I think that is a good idea to just back up a little bit. Okay, to the, yeah. the history. So, who wants to like? I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I I've got some like. Um, I I have a few little tidbits, but may, maybe you guys who are more well versed can fill in the gaps. Um, well, why don't you go ahead? Yeah. Go ahead, sir. I'll, 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 I'll be forward. happy to. Yeah. yeah. So my understanding is that um, like 1906 is when the first conversation kind of started of having a Jewish state. And a big reason for that is when um, anti-Semitism kind of kicked off in the 19th or 1900s. And they just kind of wanted a, a place for them to go. Um, and so I, up sorry. in... To interrupt. Are you saying they wanted a place for them to go, for them to be safe, or people just didn't want Jewish people in their own countries, and so, so they just wanted them to go? Fun fact, it's going to depend on what version of history you okay. read. Also, um, can I just say, in addition to that, similarly, um, it was on the books in Minneapolis that Jews were not allowed to live in the city limits. Whoa. Once upon a time, that law was actually on the books. And so where did they live? They wound up living in North Minneapolis. Mm. And they lived in North Minneapolis for decades. And they built, you know, you know, all kinds of infrastructure and homes and, and, and commerce and things like that. And then the time came where they moved from that area away because it was in Minneapolis still. And they moved to uh, places in the western suburbs. And so this, you know, sometimes people, oh, they, they make 
uh, they say hateful things using the word St. Louis Park. But the reality is, is Jews basically migrated out to the western suburbs because they could be there. Yeah. But North Minneapolis was built by Jewish people mm. once upon a time because they were not welcome. Mm. Yeah. And it's just, it's so that it's, there's pockets of that all around the world and examples of that. It's fascinating that that was also the case in the 1900s. Yeah. So in 1906, uh, we first see it coming out of um, the British Parliament is when the discussion started. And then we had World War I happen. And up until World War I ending, um, the Middle East or what we, what was called Palestine was, it was almost like a nation without borders. Like it was just kind of the Middle East. But then after World War One, the British conquered and, and essentially what we know as Israel became a British colony somewhat. And they called it? It was still Palestine. It was called Palestine. Remember. Yeah. yeah. But it was not a nation state. No. It was like a disputed territory. Or yeah, like it was a, like a no man's land almost. Yeah. Like a beautiful no man's land. But, but from uh, just at this point, it was not like uninhabited, which is no. a belief that I inherited. Yeah, like, it was they're, flourishing. Yeah, there are Christians, Muslims, and maybe... Well, um, yeah. Some, it, some Jews. By the way, similarly, lot. Lebanon was filled. Lebanon was a Christian country. Yeah. 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 Back in those days. And they got pushed out, not by the Jews. Just saying. Yeah. I mean, there's such a rich history. So basically, if we go from like the Roman Empire and we have the Great Dispersion or Dysporia um, up until uh, the end of World War One, which was 1919, was when the treaty was Treaty of Versailles was signed, I think. Uh, perhaps the, the war I think ended in 1918 and then, yeah, that would be probably right. Something around there. Right. So then the British gained the, what we see nowadays as Israel, they gained that territory. So from, you know, the teens, 19 teens on to 1948, it was, it was controlled by British hands. Um, and then during world war two, we obviously we all know that there was just this massive move of anti-Semitism. And so a ton of the European countries received refugees first coming out of uh, Berlin starting a little bit before 1933 because they kind of saw the writing on the wall, you know, yeah. as, as Hitler was taking power and mm. it was just, just fascinating how he took power anyways. Um, but then, you know, out of all the nations that he was conquering, they were they were fleeing as fast as they could. And so even Great Britain saw a great influx of Jewish refugees. And so all of a sudden they were like, Yeah, we need to we need to find a place for these. But there was this really ugly undertone of anti Semitism in mm. wanting them to have their own state. Yeah. But the Jews at the same time were like, we don't necessarily care how we get it, but we want Israel back. That's, that is our nation. You know, they used to have a saying for, I believe it was Passover, where they would say next year in Israel or next year in Jerusalem. Mm. So they've always had this longing to be back in the promised land. Okay. Um, and so 1948, we had the, the Belfour Declaration. Uh. Not 48, that was 17, I think. Oh, is the declaration back in 17? Yeah, that was just, that was basically the British saying, we 
believe there should be a Jewish nation state. And 40, That's right, yeah. 48 was like the UN. Oh, yep. The United uh, Nations declared yeah. that then Israel was. With Great Britain saying, we're, we're done. Yeah, they, they pulled out. And they were pulling out of several places. They also pulled out of India in a similar time frame. Yeah. Yep. For, from my understanding, it was the UN. Um, they, they offered like a partition plan, which was essentially what we think of now as like the two-state solution. So they basically drew a map and said, this should be Israel and then this should be Palestine. And Israel said, yep, we'll take it. And Palestine said, uh, no, <laughs> we don't agree with that. And there was reasons for that, and we can get into that. But Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, sorry, but I kinda, don't want to cut you off. No, no, absolutely. So kind of then what we saw, though, right, is Israel got the land. Yeah. The, the lines on the map were drawn. And now this is where we start hitting, like, you have to look at two sides of history, because the Palestinians have a viewpoint and the Israelis have a viewpoint. And like the church also holds a viewpoint. And from what I've seen is that that's the promised land and the Israelis have a right to be there. But I feel like it negates the fact that for like 1,500 years, generations of Palestinians and, and other people groups lived in that land like that was their land and all of a sudden in 1948 they were kicked out and like on on the history books there are great atrocities committed by by the israelis to get this land and like each side can contest what happened um like it was just it was so fascinating researching this and you know so we have this period of 1500 years where this people group is occupying this land but then you have this this prophecy right that this is the promised land and so it's kind of like where do we stand right do we stand that this is the israeli promised land or like did that be was that the promise of that land fulfilled in the person of jesus and that ultimately the promised land is is when christ comes and establishes his reign and so they really didn't have a claim to kick people off the land, mm. you know? Yeah. Damn. It's interesting because uh, what's helped me process some of this is that, okay, there's like a, we say there's a Palestinian narrative, but like, I I don't know what to think about that, but um, there's Palestinian Christians on the ground that have been there for a long time. So, yeah. I'm I'm willing to listen to to their stories about how their families go back years and years and how they had land. Um, when the Ottoman Empire came in, they they would not register as much land as they owned because if they registered seventy acres, they had to pay taxes on seventy. So yeah. they might just register one acre, and the the Ottoman Empire didn't have the resources to like police that. Um, but basically. What's happened is as Israel moved in, they just looked at, at records and if something wasn't registered, they would just claim that as their own. And yeah, so, but then they would they would buy, and I put that in air quotations, they would buy that one acre and then say, well, we bought the land. And then this other 69 acres was unclaimed. And so then mm-hmm. this 70 acres is now ours, but we bought it. Yeah. 
I think too you mentioned a lot of a lot of that period is contested. Um, one thing that is not contested is that um, seven hundred thousand Palestinians were displaced and and still are to an extent their descendants. So there's still people living in refugee camps. Yeah, seventy five years day. later. Yeah, that's crazy. That and, and is it the. Is it the contention of this group that Israel did that, or is it the contention of this group that the United Nations did that? That Israel. I Everything yeah. I saw was Israel. You, the United Nations paved away because they said, we think there should be two states. Um, Palestinians said, no, like we've been here and you're kind of imposing another state on this land that's always been here. And as as Americans, <clears throat> I, I wonder like why like we don't... <laughs> not sympathize to that more, but like if the United Nations came in and said like, hey, we want to create a space here for these displaced people, like we would have a problem with that. It's easy to me because as I'm looking at a map that was the map of 1948 right now, Mm -hmm. which basically shows a sliver of land, again, the size or smaller than uh, New Jersey there, um, and a little bit of land over to the left side, the Gaza Strip was uh, in control of Egypt. And then the land on the West Bank side, which I think was in charge, or Jordan was responsible for. Um, there's all kinds of land all around there, Egypt, Jordan, Syria, Lebanon, all kinds of land. None of those countries, not Egypt, not Jordan, not Syria, not Lebanon, none of them want these two people gr- or these people groups that are there in Gaza or what we used to call the West Bank and so on. They didn't want them. And so in all these 70, 75 years, I constantly hear that this is Israel's fault. And I go, well, there's one, two, three, four, five nations that border Israel. And none of them are going, oh, we'll take them. Mm-hmm. And, well, in fact, Egypt, as recently as two weeks ago, said, we don't want them and closed the border. I think the other flip side to that, though, is that Palestinians don't or didn't want to be displaced in the first place. Well, and Palestinians is an interesting term because they're actually Jordanians. Uh, that's a whole nother thing. But I mean, and here I'm just going to, for those people that are at the table right here, look at, look at the size of all the countries that are around Israel. Yeah. And Well, I think it, it kind of goes to this, to state like, right. It was a nation without borders. Like, like it didn't have a government because like they had cities and the cities themselves govern themselves but there are also like a huge nomadic population that were shepherds. Mm -hmm. And so they had this land that wasn't necessarily registered and it didn't necessarily belong to a country. And so then the world went, Hmm, this land is all unclaimed Mm -hmm. and we're just going to shove an entire population into it without any regard for the people who actually inhabited the land, you know? But then there's like, there's the two arguments with it of like, well, that was Israel's promised land, but for 1,500 years, they weren't occupying it, and so a people group did occupy it. And they weren't occupying it because why? The, well, the dysphoria. Because the Romans said, you can be here if you want to, but uh, uh, they didn't, didn't, I mean, hasn't every nation made it uncomfortable for Jews to be in Israel since ever? Yeah, 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 all the anti-Semitism, I mean, that's from basically the start of time. Everybody. Other countries that have nothing to do uh, with the Middle East, you know, Italy, yeah, uh, and and so on. And you know, you talk about it's, it's, we can we can bring it closer to home. Even you're talking about um, what was going on in Europe, uh, the anti-Semitism in Europe, and the 
you know, 1910s, 20s, 30s, and 40s. There's tons of information about the lovely city of Minneapolis. I already brought it up. Mm-hmm. And they're anti We are like one of the most anti-Semitic cities in the United States is actually Minneapolis, which is one of the most liberal uh, cities yep. in the United States as well. Because by the way, so I think I have an under, uh, a belief of where they stand on current events in Israel uh, right now. I uh, think I think what I'm trying to convey is not that Israel as it is right now is illegitimate or they should be wiped off the face of the map. Like totally not well, what I'm saying. I feel like what we're hearing is, is they took it from these other people. And I go, they, there are Palestinians living in Israel that are citizens of Israel right now. There's, if there's 8 million people in Israel, 1 million of them are Palestinian. Well, it, it, it has to be true in some sense that they took something because the, it wasn't a nation and then it became a nation. Like mm-hmm. they declared borders. So by the so, nature of that happening. So the United States took this nation from somebody mm-hmm. and go to any country in the world. Everybody took something from somebody. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So I mean, it's it's, it's history. It's time. But let's just focus on Israel. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like... Not right now, but it makes my blood boil. Israel is the only nation that's ever moved into an area and decided to spread their wings, which is a lie. It's a crock. Every nation has done that. Look what Russia is doing right now. Look at... And look what happened 50 years ago in anywhere... I don't think that that's necessarily the argument. I think everyone can agree that that happens in history, right? That that's how the U.S. came to be. But also now look at the move as we've studied history and we go, hmm, you know, 500 years ago when we came to this country, what what the settlers did, I'm not going to say what we did because that was 500 years ago. I'm not a part of that, you know. But what the settlers did 500 years ago probably wasn't right. So if we were attacked 500 years later, should we defend our borders? And if the answer is, is of course we should, then why shouldn't Israel? There's nobody living right now in Israel, probably, that was there in 1948. I mean, there's a few. Maybe there's some 90-year-old people and so on. But there are 20- and 30-year-olds, people that were slaughtered on October 7th and so on, that had nothing to do with that. Yeah. I think, I think we're not, I'm not trying to avoid that question, but I think with the whole reason we're just bringing up the, the formation is that there is a context yeah. to this struggle. Which I don't deny, yeah. but, I, but I think it's valid to point out, and it really I'm just having fun, you know I am, <laughs> yeah. but I think it's I think, <laughs> a lot of fun. I think it's valid to point out that Every single nation that exists in this country that pretends to have borders or used to have borders, which is another podcast, uh, would have a right to defend itself except Israel. And that's a crock. Um, yeah. And I, I don't say they don't have a right to defend themselves, but I would say like, I can understand the pushback. Not, not, um, this is not a defense of Hamas. I'm just saying I can understand the, the feeling of Palestinians who feel like man, the UN just came in and said, this is how it should be. And then Israel said, yep, and drew borders. And then... Well, then, fair that, enough. And, and this is this is not even like Palestinian. I'm not being sympathetic to like an entire people group or a religion. I, I'm, I've just heard this from Christians who mm-hmm. who had family that lived there. And so just, just take from that for, for what you will. Like 
This is like something that Christians on the ground struggle with. And they would not say we celebrate what Hamas did or um, that what happened was a good thing and we want to see Israel replaced. Like, I don't... What do they say? The the Christians that I've heard, and, and I would say um, even like just ordinary families, they just, I think... What people want is just like a peaceful two-state solution. Where so why, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, so why not make your world that you're living in a better place than, than they have? Right? Do they, is it because Israel's not allowing them to have a, have a better city, better, better schools and homes? and rest? Is, it, is, a, is Israel keeping the Palestinians from excelling? Hmm. And I think... It again, I think people who are honest with themselves will will acknowledge that Hamas is obviously the ruling government there. Muslim Brotherhood. And they are radical and they do not care about the Palestinian people. So, yeah. So let's one second on Hamas here. They actually are a political party that in their founding days was funded by Israel. Yeah. That was a surprise for me. So, like... Help, help me understand that. <clears throat> I mean, I think each person has to yeah, kind of... Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. You're good. No, my brief understanding is that it was basically done as like a countermeasure to whatever political party was dominant at yeah. the time. The PLO, Palestinian Liberation Because they were kind of, kind of leftists and they were concerned about socialism and communism. So it was almost like, well, let's create another movement within Palestine. Think U.S. and Taliban. <laughs> yeah. And so, like, <laughs> I'm not saying Israel is responsible for, like, what happened on October 7th, but, like, they, the genesis of Hamas was mm-hmm. definitely... And it deserves a look at. Yeah. Yeah. You know, them trying so, to figure out some way to live in peace or to keep things balanced... Um, is that is that where it? I think from? that's a little too generous <clears throat> to say that it was. In my understanding, in my opinion, the reason why Israel backed Hamas is because they were the calmer political party that they felt that they could control. Okay, well, we backed the Soviet Union during World War II. Yeah, or literally, that's what why we backed the Taliban as well. Right. So like it's right. it's two sides of the same coin. Left Afghanistan and yeah. their hands. Yeah. yeah. So like again, it we have to look at that when we're talking about what happened on October seventh, because this didn't happen in a vacuum. Mm. Now I want to state for sure, and I think it's the feeling around the whole table, is that under no circumstances, whatever the boiling point is or what caused it, is what happened on October seventh okay. Yeah, hundred percent. Except for J Baron being born. Yes. Thank you. Thank you yeah. I mean that was a good thing, right? Uh, but yeah. but the any any loss of life, especially innocent life, right? We're talking civilians, we're talking babies, children, the elderly. Image bearers, yeah. 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 Yep. Like no matter what has happened, that is not okay. And like that's end stop right there. Yeah. So the solution is or did I just fast forward two hours? I'm sorry. So what do we do about it? What what should what should Israel be allowed to do? Because we all do agree that that was not okay. What happened? Mm-hmm. So as it relates to 
proportionalism? Is that what? Proportionate response. Proportionate response. What do you think is, because I have thoughts on that, of course, what do you think is a proportionate response? Hmm. So I have two views on this. I have a worldview as, um, I would say, uh, flesh and spirit view. Hmm. So the flesh view, right, is, is your nation was attacked. Just like 9-11, we were attacked. I believe a nation has, has a right to defend itself. And when you talk about proportionate response, right, if you're like, you say eye for eye, mm-hmm. you know, you attacked us, we're going to attack you. But there's also this view of like, okay, if we only attack you in the same manner, proportionate to what you did to us, you're still around then, right? So Israel is, is viewing it as like, we're just going to go in and wipe Hamas off the face of the earth. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, as a nation, right? Like that's well, ha- what, having fought this battle since 1948, whether it's Hamas or someone else. Yeah, yeah, yeah like like I that seems that seems legit, right? Like we're just gonna go out and we're gonna we're gonna annihilate them. But I mean, but, if there's a proportionate response, then they would just annihilate the kids and the babies. Yeah, they would go and, over there and rape people and take hostages and all that. Seriously, eye yeah, for an oh, eye yeah, would say yeah. that. Yeah, absolutely. But like. And that doesn't fix anything. No, no, because the the oppressed always become the oppressor. Okay? Like you can you can look at time, the oppressed always becomes the oppressor. But if we sit back and we look at this Interesting. as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus. Hear my heart in this, please, right? Jesus said, turn the other cheek. Right. And this is good. And I've been there and I've thought that, but the people of Israel are not Christians. So and, that's what I'm going with, though. And, the, and Hamas aren't Jews. And so, by that, they, they, don't even have, they don't even have an eye for an eye uh, to fall back on, which starts with ha- Hammurabi. Yeah, yeah. So what I'm saying, right, is, is the secular world is 100% go and do what you're going to do. Like... Fight the wars. That's justice, right? You're attacked, you can attack back. That, that is like immediate justice. You, I, I disagree with what you just said. I disagree with this. You said the secular world because the secular world right now is saying, Israel, you're, you're, you're being too heavy-handed. Yeah, but I, I think that that's a battle for the secular world to, to, to like dish out, you know, because I don't, from what I've seen, if I'm viewing it from the secular world, I don't believe Israel's response was proportionate. They've killed, I think the report I saw is like 7,000 civilians. That's insanity. How, how do I know if that's a real number and how do you know if that's a real number? Well, that's that's true. That's absolutely true. Yeah. But if it is a real number. I don't even know that eighteen or 1,300 or 1,800 or whatever the number is uh, on, the, on October 7th. I don't know if that's a real number. Yeah. So, but what I am saying, right? As, as a believer, I do not get to look at it through the secular worldview. Absolutely do not get to do that. Because well, I'm bilingual. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I, think I, don't, I don't have a response to that. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> I, I would agree. Like a nation has a right to it defend itself and then the question becomes like as believers do we get involved with that do we like 
to what extent do we support that? Yeah. Um, sorry, I'm just processing and, and right now. Yeah. So if I, I'm going to state my opinion and, you know, take it as you might get some flack, whatever, but like my heart really is, is to follow after Jesus. And, and in that, right. Everyone that is in this situation is an image bearer of God. Like God created them right now. They have clearly chosen violence. Hamas is, is purely evil, right? They are still people. They are still people that God can move upon and, and they can be saved and and come to Jesus. Mm. Absolutely. Right. I agree. And so like my heart absolutely breaks that there is this conflict, that there is this killing and and my heart's cry is that it would end and that there would be no more bloodshed. And okay. as a Christian, I can never, in my opinion, let me just state that, in my opinion, I can never pick up a weapon and wield it against another image bearer. I totally understand that. And I've had this conversation with my wife and she would agree with you, I think, 100%. Because like... like if we if we just look at Jesus's life, right? He right. was getting attacked and and he was completely innocent and Peter went to defend him. And we look at that, right? And we see that is righteous. I agree. I just can't expect the Jewish people or the the uh, uh uh people that live in Israel right now to see that the same way as me. Be- no, be- and because, I don't either. Because I haven't had. So, um I I'm a uh a concealed carry guy. I don't carry a gun with me everywhere, but I but we have one in my house. And in my mind, if somebody breaks into my house and they're going to attack my family, had this conversation with my wife. She doesn't love this idea. But if somebody comes in, they're coming after my family. I'm going after that guy. I am not going after his family and his kids. And I'll, I'm not. I'm not going to continue on. on that. But I'm just saying mm-hmm. I, that I have. We have a right to protect ourselves. But do we? Well, I do. I do, but because, I mean, like, really, because, like, because because it is my responsibility to protect my family, so I may not defend. But is it? Is it your responsibility, or it is, is it is it Christ? It is. It is my responsibility, and it is not my responsibility necessarily to defend myself, but it is my responsibility to defend my family. And that, it, to be honest with you, it's part of my marriage vows, and so that is that is my role. But I'm just saying that I would I would do that. I. I, we are kindred spirits. I was nonviolent to the point of being a vegetarian for 10 years. I mean, I, the, the, the concept of me owning a, a weapon to this day to potentially protect my family is ridiculous. Mm. Never, my kids didn't, you know, dad did what? You know, I've, I've totally changed on that, but it's not to protect me, it's protect my family. My Christian values, I don't expect the leaders of Israel and the people mm-hmm. that live there on the border or who lost their families and so on on yeah. October 7th. No, I absolutely I, I don't. I do not hold them responsible no. for that. And I do not think that they should kill innocent people. But after, I don't know, seven wars since 1948, I can see them wanting to end this. And ending it isn't going to be a proportionate, okay, we'll take out a couple buildings and a couple leaders and call it good. They've mm-hmm. done that. So, but my, my thought in my... We have evidence that my, they've done that. Yeah, my thought and my question on it though, right, is like we are sitting here as Bible-believing Christians, like 
how can we still be okay with that? I don't think we are okay with it, but there is a reality that the that there are countries that are established and that operates differently from individual Christians. So I don't have to be okay with the response that even like um, America had um, in 9-11. Like I should be heartbroken by that. And I shouldn't cheer on death. I shouldn't cheer on going to war. Like there are people who want us to join the war um, with Israel. And my heart breaks at that because I know the cost of war. However, as a country, I, I don't know. I just think there – I can't back, back this up publicly, but I think there are different rules yeah. for countries and for Christians because a country can't be Christian. Yeah. I just don't think that then then that like as a church, right, that I don't think that we should be stating that that Israel has – is in the clear here, that they are okay – to respond in the way they're responding, right? Like I, as a Christian, right, I say like they are in the part of the secular world and the secular world can handle this. This is like their thing, but I will not enter that fight. Yeah, because then you you kind of run into the risk of like, um, like how do we pray about this as Christians? Do we pray that Israel is successful in in what? Like I know, I know what Hamas did is wrong, but like I've heard like Israeli defense ministers and and people say like, you know, we've had enough, and I get it. We just need to eradicate Hamas, and there will be civilian casualties because Hamas are using them as human shields and hiding under hospitals and orphanages, using ambulances. Yeah, and so that's just going to be the cost, and so they will admit like yes, we're going to kill civilians and that's just the price of war and that's where I'm like, okay. We can, as a church, we can pray for peace. It just so happens privately, both online and, um, you know, in my in my own prayer time, I've prayed for victory. And victory could be a lot of different things, but victory, it does, to me, doesn't mean smashing civilians. I just recognize, I recognize that World War II didn't end until somebody won Absolutely. And the reason why wars have been so inconclusive in the last 50 years is because nobody's winning. No, nobody's fighting to win anymore. I'm not, I'm not a fan of it. I'm, these are just the facts. There are countries, we visited Warsaw, Poland recently, which for the most part is brand new because it was totally blown up. It's like there are no, there, they call it the old, um, you know, old part of the city, but there aren't new parts of the, or aren't, aren't old existing thousand-year-old buildings or whatever in Poland as there used to be because it was just all demolished. And that's how the war ended. Um, so I'm just being as pragmatic and as realistic as I can. I am not for death. I'm not for human loss and yeah. babies and all that stuff. I'm just telling you this will not end unless somebody v- it wins. Absolutely. So I, <laughs> I wonder if this will end even if you think someone will win absolutely in the way that you're talking about. Because I just see this repeating a cycle Mm -hmm. of violence where, okay, you might wipe out something and there might be a a victory that we would look and see in the natural temporarily, but, like, it's going to breed more extremism. Somebody's dad died or somebody's kid died. Of course. Well, of course. But but, um, unfortunately, 
um, it involves occupation, which is a real word that Israel isn't currently engaged in in the way that people think, but that they will have to be engaged in. Israel is going to have to be on in Gaza for the next 50 or 100 years, like troops and stuff like that, for there to be peace. And I can prove it. The reason why there is peace in Germany is because we still have U.S. troops there. We still have U.S. troops in Japan. We still have U.S. troops in South Korea. That's why the, those wars ended and there is still peace because we're still there. And if they go in, clean up shop, and then come back, you're right. It's just going to be more of the same. Well, I, I don't think that there's ever actually going to be peace until Jesus comes back. Oh, no, back. absolutely. Right, like, but, but you know like, that I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking no, about a relative I, that people will be able to raise their babies and they grow up and they have families and die without fear of being blown up. Yeah, but I I don't know if that's even the case. Any, you know, because like think about even in I would say I'd say even in me and Rachel's lifetime that like we we grew up in a time of war. Like we had family go to war in our lifetime, right? And in the back of your mind, we always we there's this element of like when's the next attack coming? Because we witnessed 9-11, you know? And so even in America, a relatively safe nation in the sense of foreign entities coming and harming us, mm -hmm. um, we don't even have that security anymore. Well, that's interesting because I understand what you're talking about because I have not felt at peace since 9-11. Um, but, but, but then even for you before 9-11, right, you grew up in the Cold War. I did grow up in the Cold War, but there were things in place that kept things in place, not just that the fact that they have um, mutually exclusive uh, ability to uh, mutually... Mutually assured destruction. destruction. Thank you. Um, not just that, but because we have troops here and troops there and all that stuff, and that, that mattered. <clears throat> we had a coast. Mm -hmm. We had the Pacific Ocean. We had the Atlantic Ocean. We were friends with Canada and mostly friends with Mexico. So we, we felt safe, but those days are gone. But prior to that... We did feel safe. So did mm. we, I, I was not in the generation that we practice getting underneath Under the our desk. desk. And... No, but my brother was. Yeah. So I've got so, siblings that were. Yeah. So then it just like, I think every generation has, has a certain fear of, of how death could come to them through, through war acts of violence, you know, cause you could even say like in the U S that, that we're in amidst of, I wouldn't necessarily go as far as like a civil war with our race war or anything like that, but, but Border. there's, there are tons of deaths within, within our own street, you know, like to think about going to North Minneapolis nowadays or even Minneapolis in general. Right. I think of, I've got family that's like, I will not go in Minneapolis. I will not get out of my car in Minneapolis. Cause you can't even call the police if you're being attacked. And yeah, oh, that's, oh, that's true. You know, so there's still this like. Oh, we don't have rockets um, flying into our houses. We don't. We don't have. Um, we do have machine guns. You know, attacking people. I mean, we when just had a, a mass shooting in Maine. Right. So, so there's still this fear, and and while maybe the deaths aren't as astronomical as we're seeing in the Middle East right now, there's it's still all over, and mm -hmm. so I don't think that even even if Israel goes in and occupies for the next hundred years in Gaza, I don't 
think that is going to ensure peace at all. So what do you think, Will? What should then, therefore, the this preaching is a fair question. of the gospel. Yeah. So what, which I have friends in Israel that are doing that right yeah. now. But, but I, what, what do you think should be Israel's response? I've told you what mine is. So what's your response to Hamas? Well, again, I, it's hard because I see, I see the worldview of it. And because Israel is not Christian, you know, like they're not operating off of a Christian worldview, their response is going to be to annihilate Hamas. And because they are secular, I I don't feel that I can judge them on that because they are not a part of the Christian church. Mm-hmm. And no country is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, not I, even I mean, America. E- even America, like, whatever you believe, coming from, like, a Christian worldview or more, yeah. you know, like, a country is still tasked with protecting its people. Yeah. And, and like, I'm okay it's, for the... It's borders and highways. That's that's it. So, like, I, I believe the secular world should do that, right? But as a Christian, like, I will never join the military to defend my nation. Because for me, my nation... My nation is the kingdom of oh. God. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, 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 <laughs> yikes, Rachel. Did we just uh, discover something? Wow. Well, oh, fortun- I, no, 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 no. This podcast hasn't just discovered <laughs> yeah, that. They, yeah. they know that. Fortunately, every nation is corrupt. Yes. Okay. So now. Uh, Bold statement, but. Uh, yes. N- n- yeah. I mean, not so, so for history. me, though, not for so me though right? Like Philippians hits this, right? My citizenship is nowhere in this world, right? I have a passport that says I'm a citizen of the U.S., but that is not how I identify. I identify as a citizen of the kingdom of God. And so I do not hold any allegiance to America. I don't. I will not protect it. I will not defend it. Well, that's interesting. That's a whole That's a whole other conversation. I have to tell you, and you've had this experience because you were a missionary in Guatemala. Nicaragua. So, Nicaragua, for, sorry, for five years. I had an interesting experience as we were crossing from Ukraine into Poland uh, last week, and uh, I felt very American mm. <laughs> for a few minutes there. And I, the, of course, the whole trip was about Jesus and about and 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 I see myself as a Christian first. I really do. But just putting things in perspective, as we crossed over and we were finally in Poland, and then we were heading, our, our, we were four hours away from our hotel or whatever. There was an interesting. I, I felt uh, my heart. Was like thank you because my passport doesn't say Christian on it. It does, in fact, say American. And it mm-hmm. was that it said that that I was able to do that and get there. I'm just saying it's it's worth pointing yeah, out that but, I thank you Jesus for America. Um, only person, at, <laughs> only, only person at the table oh, that's the trick, by the way. Yeah, that's all right. No, anybody listening? Yeah, anybody listening? Just know that one person felt that way. All right. I I do. I do too. Yeah, Her, I, I, mean, I thank God I, that this, I was able to live here and grow up here because because I got to grow up knowing Jesus and freely and because and, we protected our boys. No, because we're in America. <laughs> but I don't. I don't. I don't believe it was human power. I don't like. Well, yeah. like we were born I believe here was that. Like, I believe, though, that. that God raises up rulers and He tears them down. Yes, one hundred percent, and yeah. that like that goes for Israel as well, right? And not that He's, you know, a puppet master organizing this chaos going on in the Middle East at all, right? 
but his glory is going to come forth. It absolutely is. The enemy is working and moving, and he means this for evil. He means this for destruction. But God, the scripture does not say God turns it for good. It says God means it for good. So this event, right, is happening. God knew it was going to happen. The enemy is working, and he means it for evil. And God, knowing this event was going to come, he means it for good. And so he's still ultimately in control. Okay. And so as a Christian then looking at this, right, and viewing my citizenship, my existence out of the kingdom of God, that I am an ambassador, an image bearer of God, I, I will not pick up a weapon to defend a border. Okay. And that is Emily's conviction, and she knows that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And me seeing my brothers, like, and, and Emily has a brother in the Army too, like, I firmly believe that they were made for such a time as that, to go into the military and to defend our nation. So I And am, that is my conviction. I am thankful for the secular world acting as defenders. Yeah, if Which like made there, it possible there is for a, you to have the freedom to have the belief system that you absolutely. have. Absolutely, but if that freedom was taken away or threatened to be taken away, I would not defend it because my freedom is not rooted in my border or in my government. My freedom is rooted in Christ, and so even if I am put in jail, they do not take my life. I freely give it, just like Christ, because they can't touch my salvation. They cannot touch eternity. Yeah. yeah, I can see that. Um, I uh, I also recognize that there is no place on earth where you have a better chance of developing the four various views that we have at this table than in this country right here. A Jewish person that I, just one, one, one quick thing, uh, uh, a Jewish person that I admire said that this country, for me to be able to ex- to express my Jewish beliefs and faith, there is no place on the earth, including Israel, where he would be more free than mm. the United States, yeah. and we and none of us, none of us here had anything to do with that. We yeah. were just born here. Well, yeah. three of us were. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, if I could yeah. maybe pick up on your question, how should Israel respond? I think there's a lot going on here because Israel is grieving right now. Mm. Yeah. And so I think that has to be factored into it. I remember after 9-11, the Sunday after that, um, just being out to lunch with some people from my church at the time, and one guy at the table just said, I think we should just nuke them all. Like, and I could tell even... Make the desert glass. I heard that a lot. Yeah, mm. Even I, as a 15, 16-year-old, I could just tell where that was coming from wasn't even hatred it was grief yeah like and and shock and you know i was new to the country at the time but i understood that and recognized that that might not be a helpful response (laughs) and so i i do wonder like how much of this like we need to just wipe hamas out as evil as hamas is like the implications of what that actually means with people on the ground yeah, and I hear people saying like, "Oh, we we drop like pamphlets over them and tell them to get out," but like, really, <laughs> what does that mean? Like, where do they have to go? And like, is it is it besides all the 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 details and did this bombing really happen and were there really that many casualties? Like, there's people on the ground that that will and Israelis like the 
IDF will admit this, like there's just going to be. I totally agree. And the reality is, is they have nowhere to go. And, And I'm not blaming this on the Palestinians. I'm blaming it on the bordering countries. And that would be Egypt and Jordan and Syria and the others. They have nowhere to go and nobody wants them. So it wasn't like everybody else opened their borders to the Palestinians. They, Israel said, you need to get out of here. And they, so the best they could do would be like sardine cans. They had to just move closer to, to the back yeah. or closer to the ocean or whatever. That's, they had nowhere else to go. So it's terrible. But by the same token, no one else is taking them either. Yeah. And I think, I think that's, that's heartbreaking. And I think that right now the church has this opportunity of like, how do we serve them? You know, and I think that truly by preaching the gospel is is how peace is going to be ushered in. I don't think yeah. it's by weapons. That's why Jesus said, if you live by the sword, you will die by the sword. Yeah. And and as the state does their thing, which they are free to do, yeah. the church needs to do its thing and it will be separate. So yeah. I don't think it's an either or response. I think it's a both and. Yeah. Um, Palestinian Christians are preaching the gospel. Yeah, I think at, we're going to risk see, of their own life. Yeah, I think we're going to see a great revival coming out of this. You know, I think yeah. we're going to see Christians thrive church. under persecution. Yeah. They That's really do. I mean, mm-hmm. and and grow. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I also think maybe the question of like what should Israel do for us as Christians is not even for us to answer. Like. It's a hypothetical, like I could come yeah. up with some things, but like what I need to do is just pray God's kingdom come and his will be done in this situation. And Thank and you for, for summing up my 10-minute rant yeah. right there. That's what I was trying no, to like, say. Yeah. I mean, we have brothers and sisters on the ground on both sides and like we just need to believe with them. Also pray for our enemies. But I'm just saying like to bring it home, the church is in is in those affected areas in Gaza and then in Israel and like just to humanize it and be like, I'm going to stand with these people and pray rather than like, Hmm, what should Israel do? Mm -hmm. Like I could go around in circles and I don't think there's any good answer. Yeah. Personally. Yeah. I feel as a Christian that I, I can't answer that because like I truly think the world should respond. How the world is going to respond. And they are. And yeah. they will be judged for that too. Yeah. And then, it, but then as Christians, right? It yeah. truly is just praying your kingdom can come, your will be done. Yeah. You know, like that, that's truly my heart. Yeah. And I think like we're, we're zeroing in on like Israel and Palestine and America. But one of the most helpful things that I've heard from like a theology person that I follow um, is like we have to look at this from a lens of like worldwide Christianity. Yeah. Like we can't just think like America and how we live and everything. We have to think, is this theologically correct in every single area yeah. that Christians are around the world? So Chinese Christians, you mm-hmm. know, and Russian Christians and Ukrainian Christians, like does this theology hold up yeah. around the world? Yeah. And if it doesn't, I think we need to yeah. <laughs> look and at I, it a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. And I find it fascinating though, how much our theology of eschatology of the end times plays into how much we are paying attention to this conflict and how much we have an opinion on the conflict simply because what we believe about Jesus' second coming. Mm. 
I'm like, really curious uh, to hear what like Christians in other countries yeah. are thinking right now. Yeah. Like like not not just Israel or Yeah, like what are the Chinese Christians thinking about what's going on in Israel? What's Mm. Max thinking? I'm I'm Yeah, did you talk about it? Well they have a they have other things on their plate right now. So I'm I dare say that that I I (laughs) didn't go there. Um but I do know that um Israel the government has been supporting Ukraine, which is, you know, it's a it's interesting it's related to Vladimir Putin and Mm -hmm. and Erdogan and stuff like that, because they're all buds. Yep. You know, that group, that crescent, if you will. Um, but um, so it, they are supportive of Israel. However, they have their own stuff uh, going on right now. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think like, yeah, even <laughs> even like America's obsession with end times. I look around parts of the other world and I'm like, yeah, they have other stuff on their plate. Yeah. I'm, They're not worried about this. Yeah. I have friends in Uganda that are aware that I'm praying for our Ukrainian friends, and then I'm praying for my uh, Israeli friends, and they have dirt floors. Yeah, you know, in their houses. So <laughs> yeah, so that's like that it's goes a, to the whole like missionary thing we were talking off off recording, though, right? Why do we say that dirt floors are bad? Um, well, I don't like bugs, but let's just start there. But I don't know. I just a fun side note, you know? Yeah, yeah. like like yeah. why is that a why is that, oh, wow. a, why is that, that. A, the equivalent of like like. Huh, we have to pray for them because they have dirt floors. Jesus had dirt floors. Well, yeah, right. And 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 I, I, I get your point. And the reality is they also have malaria like every other month in, in Uganda, for example, and they have dirt floors and they don't have um they don't they don't put um, you know, pesticide donuts in their ponds and stuff like that to keep mosquitoes from breeding. They mm-hmm. literally have none of that. They just have mosquitoes that carry disease and you can go on and on. The reality is in Latin America those people that live with dirt floors also have the biggest smiles on their faces, amazing clothing. They love the Lord yeah. and each other. So, yeah. And they don't think that they need rescuing. They don't, th- they don't think they need rescuing, yeah. So, I don't know. That just, like... Good point. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I Yeah. Like, like you said, like, Max has other things to deal with. He has other stuff, you know. And so I think, like, what I come back to, like, I love this talk of, like, um, the end times views and, like, all that kind of stuff. But when it comes right down to it, I have like, yeah. I have nothing further to say because if I obsess over this and don't actually preach the gospel in my own right. city mm-hmm. and I'm not actually making disciples, what does it matter? Right. Yeah. I'm not like, following like the commands that Jesus yeah, gave me because right. the command that he gave me was not to look at the end times. It was to be ready at all times. Right. But Which, it was to preach yeah. the gospel yeah, and like that's, disciples. I, that's actually where I live. I yeah. I take a huge theological issue with the statement, get ready. Mm. Like, massive. It shouldn't be get ready. It's just be ready. 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 Not even be ready, you know, because that still denotes an attitude of like, oh, you know, I need to pack up. I need to be ready. No. Oh, fair enough. Ready. Ready. Ducks in a row, yeah. Ready. I am ready for the return of Christ. Because here's the fact, we're not guaranteed our next breath. And so one way or another, you're facing Jesus. And is it by his second coming because you're still alive when he comes in the cloud at the great trumpet sound? It's um, it's not a secret rapture. And uh, I won't die on that hill, but I will push the issue very hard. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> no, that's the only thing I'm certain of 
in the end times is that it's not yeah. a silent rapture. Yeah. I feel like, okay, we, this is kind of <laughs> towards the end of our podcast, but I feel like that's another issue people will really take issue with. <laughs> yeah, Again, please read Ephesians. It, yeah, and it's not, I think it's just because there's been things ingrained in us, repeated to us repeatedly in books and literature and teachings. I remember growing up, um, you know, going to my grandparents' house and seeing some televangelists like just map out the end time stuff of like, yeah. what nation is going to move in where. And like, this is stuff that people were discipled on. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I understand if people hear this and it sounds like we're maybe joking about it or mocking it. We're not mocking it. Maybe, maybe our generation has had less of that, but I do understand there is a, a group of people who that's what, what yeah. they were discipled in for years. And so yeah. to like entertain something different is, is a heavy weight to lift. And so yeah. I would just encourage would, you go back yeah, to the scriptures and yeah. just wrestle yeah, with absolutely. it. Absolutely. Like, you know, being eight years old and, you know, my dad left his pile of clothes in the bathroom after a shower. And then they went to the store while I still was asleep and I wake up and go, Oh my gosh, where's my family? <laughs> you know? And like in the back of your mind, you're like, did I just miss the rapture? They left you alone at eight years old. Yeah, it was a different time period. I know, I'm joking. It was two decades ago. Mm. <laughs> Leaving Emery alone at eight years old, I'm like, the house would be burnt to a crisp. Yeah. I mean, at that time period, it was like a uh, whatever grade you're in is how many hours you can stay home alone. Oh my gosh. So it was like two hours. Uh, um, that, that's, that's still true. I mean, like as it relates to dealing with the county and things like yeah. that, there's something that's pretty close to accurate. Yeah. So yeah, yeah absolutely. They would go to the store when I was eight. All right. Is like it, I remember. What's the statute of limitations legal. of reporting your parents? I guess what? I'm asking for a friend. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So going back to like thinking that your parents were raptured because yeah. they left their clothes behind. Um, just a total side note. Audrey this morning, uh, she wanted to lay out her clothes on the floor to make a scarecrow. And... That is not where my mind went when she laid out her clothes. Right, yeah. I was like, yeah. I was just laughing to myself. You I was like, she was gone. <laughs> it's like, but it's like a generational trauma within the church of like, oh, we got this secret you know what rapture. Helps, you know what helps with all that? When they made the movie, the first movie, yeah, it was bad. It, it was, was terrible. And I just went. I literally went. I'm done with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I mean, yeah. we've got generations. You know, first before the books were even written, right? That's what they were being discipled in. Mm. And then these books are written, and they were fiction. You know, like mm-hmm. I got to give the writers that they never were putting it out there as a theological. By work. the way, his son's stuff is much better. Dallas Jenkins, uh, the Chosen. His stuff is much better than Left yeah. Behind. It, yeah, I didn't know that. That's the same. Yes. That's amazing. You know, there's a whole group out there that would be like, uh, yeah, you're in heresy by watching The Chosen. Oh, yeah. And I don't associate with those people because they're heresy hunters and I can't stand that. <laughs> there's people within our church. Oh, sorry. Oh, oh my gosh. I've literally talked to some of them. This is our last episode, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Um, oh, I apologize, but if you're a heresy hunter, mm, don't I do talk to have me. it downloaded on my phone, which, by the way, is against company policy. But oh, oh my goodness, great! It's good to watch on planes oh. when they're mm. yep. out, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. No, I just uh, yeah, it was, yeah, mm. it yeah. Anyways, all right. 
Does anyone feel like they want to add something more to this conversation? It's been broad and I big. I do want to add this, okay. that I have loved this conversation. And I don't mean to say that at the expense of what's happening in the Middle East. Yeah. But I think it is the reason why we have these conversations even is to have face-to-face conversations with people, eyeball to eyeball, not, not texting or social media people to death. Mm-hmm. you know, with, um, you know, anger and things like that. This is so healthy and it was a great topic. Yeah. 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 And I think like if I could personally leave anything right, is that like just that word ready, like you're have your lamp lit, have your oil full because you're not guaranteed your next breath, whether it's because Jesus comes back or he takes you home, you know? And so there's, there's an element at which we're watching the signs of the times and looking for him, you know, cause he tells us to look for him, right? Mm. We're supposed to look, but just ready. Yeah. Like my heart cries out ready, your kingdom come, Yeah, you know? So that's, yep. you know, that's what I want to leave this conversation with of like whatever end time theology you believe or where Israel lands in the, the grand scale of, how Jesus is going to come back. Ultimately it's his kingdom come. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And if we get so caught up in the details of it and we get like, we place this theology above actually having a relationship with Jesus and a relationship with other people, like and discipling them, then we've got it wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Cause all of this, all of this should point to Christ and bring hope. And yeah, absolutely bring hope, right? And as we're studying it, we see his love for us. Like he is coming back to claim his bride and he is bringing us into his kingdom and loving us. And man, I just fall more in love with him the more I know that. Yeah. And like, just, I hope everyone takes that as an encouragement. Like just let God tell you who he is through his word and through his spirit. And then you'll just fall in love with him. Yeah. That's so good. Yeah, and my encouragement to people would be, even with the diversity of views that we had here today, there is an opportunity for the church to be a light in how we talk about this conflict. Mm -hmm. Because I just feel like so much of what is out there is just so uh, understandably so. It's it's passionate, it's heated, because there's there's real lives and and things involved, so I get that it's that it's heated. But the way we talk about this, we have an opportunity to be different from the world and how we mm-hmm. talk about this, whatever that looks like, with our convictions and our views. Amen. So before we close, let's let's just take a few minutes to pray, because I realize we can talk a lot about what's going on, and it can just sound like some people sitting around a table giving their opinions. But as Christians, I want to just bring this before God and and let him seal it and seal it in your hearts, the, the people listening, and that you'd be able to go away just with a sense of peace. So, um, Jay, Brian, do you want to? I do. Up? Father yeah. God, we thank you for this opportunity. Uh, first and foremost, that we can have an opportunity, um, frankly, in safety to be able to share views and to... Um, encourage one another and, you know, to be take part in iron, sharpening iron. But I think all four of us would agree, I believe that we can agree that we are praying for peace, 
not just between the four of us as we walk out of this room or in our churches and so on, but we pray for peace in the Middle East and in other places in the world where there are conflicts happening. Um, That's a prayer that doesn't take sides except for your side, Lord God. We are on your side, and we know that you're on our side, and we even know that you're on their side uh, as it relates to loving all of your children on this planet. So it is my prayer for peace in all this that we can that something amazing can come from this because you say something uh, uh, good can, can come of it in some fashion. We just are believing for that, Lord. We thank you for how you love us. We pray protection and um, for the mending of hearts for all the people that are affected uh, in that land. Lord God, there is so much hurt. There's been so much harm done over the centuries. Father God, we ask you to, to heal and send your love there and to show us how we can be um, ambassadors uh, to the world, ambassadors of you that we can reflect your face in all kinds of conversations and in all kinds of ways. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this episode of Thinking Well. We hope that this will lead to fruitful conversations in your life. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and family, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To stay up to date with the latest and to join in the conversation surrounding faith and culture, follow us on Instagram at Thinking Well Podcast. Thinking Well is a production of Living Waters Church in Elk River, Minnesota. For more information about Living Waters, visit livingwatersmn.org.